Mrs. Doubtfire. Hello and welcome to Medium Salt, the podcast where we season nostalgic about movies and pop culture that provides a window into how we were and how we've grown as individuals and as a society. Also, we like to point out a little thing bad because it's fun and we're salty. I'm your host, Matt, joined by my good friend and co-host, Kate. Today, we are looking at the 1993 comedy Mrs. Doubtfire, starring Robin Williams and Sally Field, directed by Chris Columbus. But first, Kate, how are you? I am actually doing very well. I'm a little tired because I woke up at six to watch Mrs. Doubtfire this morning. But that means that all of the uh, salt is fresh. Fresh from the ocean. Fresh salt. Fresh, fresh salt. All right. Um, you watching any good, just any good media besides, you know? That is a good question. Um, I've been kind of, because Halloween is coming up, looking into doing or looking into scary movies or horror movies, especially classics. Uh, I wouldn't call it good, uh, but I did recently watch Rosemary's baby, which was directed by Roman Polanski, which is its own podcast. Um, mm. It was very well made and I enjoyed it. I think. <laughs> Uh, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. There's, um, there's a huge asterisk next to that. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is a, that's a can of worms movie. Yeah. Right? I mean, yes, we're not talking absolutely. about that movie today, but um, in terms of actual good media that I've been consuming, mainly I've been playing um, Slay the Spire, which is a, like a deck building video game that's really fun. Okay. But, there's no, as far as I can tell, there's no moral overtones through which to judge reality or society through. So, well, you know, what about you? Um, so I just got finished reading The Extraordinaries by T.J. Klune. And if you haven't read anything by T.J. Klune, I do highly recommend it. Um, Extraordinaries is just basically uh, a gay ADHD teen falls in love with a superhero. So, like... What? There's... Yeah, it's just, it's a really fun story. I think everything by T.J. Klune just kind of like reads like a nice warm hug, you know? Um, there's nothing like too crazy about them. They're like, he, like the thing about T.J. Klune is he takes these basic stories and he brings them to his alt, like an alternative audience. And by alternative audience, I just mean like the gay audience, the LGBT More audience. More like a disenfranchised um, audience than alternative, yeah, really. He, yeah, he, he takes the, he takes stories and he, he gives them to everyone, right? Um, it's just like a big comforting gay hug. And does he avoid the, uh, the stereotypical and cliche queer tragedy elements, right? Where only queer people can exist in media, but only if their lives are tragic because no one's supposed to be queer. Oh yeah. No, like that's the well, TJ Klune's whole thing is being inclusive and like basically telling gay stories from a gay point of view. Um, and they're, they're, you know, they're warm and fuzzy. The Extraordinaries has some sort of kind of problematic elements, depending on how you look at things. Um, like the, the main character's father is a police officer. Mm. 
And in this story, all police officers are unequivocally the good guys. Um, which, funny, like, aside, for the longest time, every time I saw a cab, I didn't know what it meant. And I thought it meant assigned cop at birth. And so <laughs> for the longest time, I'd be like, okay, that's a weird flex. Um, and now I'm still like, and now in my head, I say all cops are bad, but I still don't think that's right. Is it all cops are bastards, a cab? Yeah, so I think like the actual saying is "all cops are bastards." Okay, Besides but the much more birth? like the much more friendly version of friendly version of it is "all cops are bad." Um, so in in this in in the extraordinaries, all cops are not bad. Um, Moral upstanding people who don't prey on uh, minorities and yeah, which uh, wouldn't be so bad because it is a you know it's it's a comic booky kind of story. It's it's supposed to be fantasy and feel good, and bringing that kind of heavy into the story maybe wouldn't fit. That said, there are definitely some jokes in there that are told from a very kind of privileged white perspective, mm. um, where they make a little bit of light of police brutality. <laughs> oh, that's um, always fun, <laughs> right? And and it definitely sounds worse than it reads in the book, but you know, he, I think he's since come out and apologized. For, for yeah. those depictions and those jokes. It's one of um, those things where, like, what level of pain are you going to have to endure whenever you consume a particular type of media, right? Like, there are certain things we're just supposed to let roll off of us, right? Mm. Like, oh, that's just whatever show. Eh. But it's okay. I think – I really do legitimately think it's getting better. So. Yeah. Um, so, it's a good book. I like reading it. Um Hap, you know, it's not to ruin anything, but it's like, you know, it's got that ha kind of happy ending. It's, um, you know, TJ Klune writes, writes primarily romance. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's kind of fun to take these like, oh, it's a comic booky thing, but it's a, written like a romance. So it kind of, um, the way seeing the two different structures and two different storytelling si styles meld in one story is kind of fun. Um, but another book by T.J. Klune I really do recommend is uh, House in the Cerulean Sea. Oh, I bought that because your lovely wife recommended it immediately. Actually, yeah, I believe what she said is, you need to leave right now, and you need to go buy it, and you need to read it. But I was at your house for longer, and then I got it at the bookstore the other day. So Yes. Uh, I Yes, absolutely. I like <laughs> to describe it as the book 2020 needed, but certainly did not deserve. <laughs> awesome. And, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. And he just came out with a new book uh, called Under the Whispering Door, which is kind of like on my list for next. That's, that's mm. the next book I'm reading. Um, I'm actually reading Frankenstein for work, which is interesting. There's a lot of themes in there that I want to explore. And, and I, what I didn't know is that there were two different editions of Frankenstein. This, there was a second, more recent edition um, that was edited differently to remove a lot of the feminist themes. Mm. And the... Um, Basically, remove a lot of the onus of responsibility from Dr. Frankenstein. So, oh, that's interesting, I thought. Yeah. I, I haven't, I need to, you know, as prevalent as the Frankenstein mythos kind of is in pop culture and media, mm -hmm. it's a story I haven't really revisited since like college. Same. Uh, did, were we in the same college English class? Do you remember? For a semester, we were, I think. Yeah, because I remember reading it in um, English in college, too. So Now we need to talk about a movie that I think is the Mrs. definition... Mrs. Dumpster Fire? 
it, I think it's the reason that this we we are doing this podcast really. Like True Lies is the impetus. Like that was mm-hmm. the that was the film that made us need to talk. Yeah, I railed about that movie for hours, maybe weeks. I'm still railing actually inside. Yeah. Oh yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. But I think Mrs. Doubtfire exemplifies what this podcast is really about. Where like I I 90s white boy, cishet white boy grew up in the 90s. Um the decade was made for me. Right? Middle class, lower middle class? Yeah, lower middle class. It's a very privileged position to look back at the 90s and go like, "Oh, that was a good time." But, you know, if you if you go back and you really examine what was happening in the 90s in the in media and in popular culture, you start to see these patterns emerge and these behaviors and attitudes present themselves as normal that are definitely it's definitely good that we we've kind of like left those behind us. And I think Mrs. Doubtfire Definitely picks up on a lot of that. It really does. Um, I thought this was going to be an easy one. <laughs> I did too. I remembered really liking Mrs. Doubtfire when I was a kid because back in the 90s, there were no streaming services. So you got to watch the eight VHS tapes you had over and over again, right? And that's how for a brief period during my middle school years, my favorite movie was Pretty Woman. Because I had no idea what I was watching. I actually tried to take it to a sleepover once. And the other girl's mom had to be like, yeah, we're not going to do that. And I didn't understand. <laughs> yeah, I was very poorly supervised. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and then I rewatched it as an adult. And I was, oh, and we'll talk about it, actually, because I think we might watch it next week. But yep, Pretty Woman should not be an 11-year-old girl's favorite movie. No, so. no, that's, that's, you know, that's worth examining. It's pretty uh, horrific, actually. <laughs> but I thought, like, we we just we just recorded the True Lies episode, which is our pilot episode for this podcast. I don't know if it's going to be released first or what, but it was the first one we recorded. And next, I was gonna we were gonna do something that I thought was gonna be like on this on a similar level. But then I was like, no, we need we need like a palate cleanser. We need to do something. Let's do a Robin Williams comedy. Yeah, from nineteen ninety three. This was like post, you know, this was like perfect, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, ah, yeah. So like, obviously, because there's the obvious things about this movie that like, oh, yeah, it's a guy who like tricks a woman into thinking that he's a British nanny so he can hang out with his kids against, against the court's will and against uh, his, 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 the mother of his children's will. Mm -hmm. And like that, I thought that was going to be it. I was like, okay, like, that's real quick. Like, let's just talk about how that's problematic. Good time. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's still just fun, you know? Um, And then. And then, Kate, I thought this was going to be a quick and easy one. I mean, I really, really did. (laughs) Yeah. I have six pages of notes. (laughs) I'm so excited. Um, Six pages. The the idea and the public image of Robin Williams being a a family-friendly actor is also really interesting because if you actually watch his early stand-up it is very very adult oh yeah it's super raunchy yeah so his transition into becoming the genie and aladdin and you know patch adams and like getting these roles where he gets to be funny for kids is really interesting oh yeah you know i think it all kind of started with mork and mindy and all that and he became oh yeah homes that way and then he wanted to leave his mark in the animation world, and, mm-hmm. and he started working with Disney. 
I mean, he, no one else could be the genie at this point. Like that's absurd. He was, he was perfect. No, no. but I mean, even, even modern iterations of, of that, of that story, <laughs> they're, they're aping Robin Williams, what Robin Williams brought to the performance. Like, right. Like Will Smith is always going to be Will Smith, but he's still doing the trying like, to genie out of time, making pop culture references. Like that was, this is very distinctly yeah. Robin Williams thing, you know? And the thing like, is, Robin Williams is a master of improv. He's just Absolutely. really good at it. Um, well, I say is. Interesting fact. This is the first Robin Williams movie I've actually let myself watch since he died. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah, he died. Actually, now and... that you mention that, I, I think this is the first one I've seen since he died, too. Wow. Yeah, I've just been avoiding them. I was really, I was really devastated that he died. I think that for whatever reason, his struggle with depression and... I guess I was always aware of the undercurrent of this this truth, right? That the people that we find deeply funny are also deeply tragic, mm-hmm. right? Because me personally, I use humor as a coping mechanism. It's my favorite one. And uh, the fact that this person who brought so much joy into other people's lives was just so injured and fragile and desperate to escape this pain was just a lot. And so I had such a fondness for him. I still do, obviously, but I just couldn't do it. Like I couldn't watch any uh, any Robin Williams movies for a really long time until now. So, because yeah. he died how long ago? It's been years, right? Yeah, it's been a couple of years. Um, yeah, he died in 2014. So it's been 14? almost seven years. Yeah, yeah, he uh, 63. You know. Oh, that's so sad. I sent you an article where they were actually talking about making a sequel. To Mrs. Doubtfire, which is interesting. Yeah, that, that could be fun to talk about after we we go through the movie. Um, yeah, and we and we talk about all of this because this is um so it's 1993. Mm-hmm. You know, this is Robin Williams hot off of 1992's Aladdin. Um, this was after Aladdin. Wow, just after, right after, like pretty much like kind of we're getting into the height of Robin Williams' career. Really, like Aladdin mm-hmm. happened and his career took off. He started to be in everything. He was also in Hook at, in '91. Hook was yes, a he was big in Hook in '91, and that was good. Mm-hmm. I liked Hook. I did too. We should probably watch it. There's probably we should, yeah, we should probably it. spend a minute. It's probably terrible. You know, honestly, I'm starting to wonder if anything from the '90s aged well. Well, like just we're going to find it. So. Yeah, I think we should do one where it, we should do at least one episode where something ages really well. And we just talk about how much we love it. That would be. I great. watched. I watched Speed recently, and yeah, it was actually okay. not too terrible. Keanu wasn't yeah. too problematic. Hey, there's there's something to be said for movies that know what they are. Yeah, I, I did you have know? the whole cop thing, but yeah, it was more like an action movie cop thing and not a police prestige role, which is a little different. So yeah, yeah. Well, cop things got really weird, you know, post. 2001 but that's like that's a whole other podcast (laughs) so Um, mrs doubtfire yeah i want to talk about i think one thing one takeaway from this film and i think all other films every film ever that you ever watch as a as an audience member Mm -hmm. as a as a critical thinker Mm -hmm. and i say this as someone who's worked in film and who watches a lot of films film writers and film directors are goddamn weirdos (laughs) All right. You should not take your your the way you frame your life should never be through the lens of the, the media you're consuming. Because these guys are fucking weirdos. 
That's a hard ask, right? So in yeah. this in this age where we're increasingly isolated and some of our best relationships are with media, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to separate. I mean, I'm sure yeah. you've had this experience too. You were pretty much as introverted as I am when it comes to a lot of things. So oh, when yeah. you're young or like you don't have a good family support system or good role models, you just look to TV. Like I have seen the effect of this on my relationships. There's certain ways that I think you're supposed to behave. And most of the time media shows the worst ones, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a film and this is really big in the nineties. This is a film about divorce, mm-hmm. you know, is it plays an important element um, to the film. To That's the plot the of the point. Film. Yeah. yeah. And what's, this happened a lot in the nineties. Like it was in TV, it was in commercials. It was, it was everywhere like divorce and like how that affected the children of the divorce, how, how that affected the family unit. Like mm-hmm. b- politicians were talking about it. Divorce was a big deal in the 90s. You want to know a weird thing about that, though? The divorce rate in the 90s was not very high. It was actually going down. Like the divorce rate in the 90s was like fairly bog standard. You know when the divorce rate was super high? The highest divorce rate we've seen? Hmm. The 80s. Well, that was going to get to my theory. Um, at some point, as the divorce rate was increasing especially after the 1950s and the idea of the nuclear family sort of disintegrated as basically I actually blame it on economic desperation, right? Capitalism Mm -hmm. became much harder to navigate. And so now we had to have two breadwinners and you couldn't have, you couldn't have this idyllic to some people, a family where, you know, you have the wife with the apron and the, and the dress and the roast in the oven every day or whatever. Right. Um, those kids, the kids whose parents were like the first generation of divorce, they didn't have any resources to to pull on. And so they grow up and then they make movies and commercials. And it's a huge part of their their psyche, right? Because they think mm-hmm. it's new and novel. Whereas now we're like, well, yeah, divorce. It's just everywhere. Like there's like 17 right, divorces right. in my immediate family. So Right. And we also have like a very different view nowadays of divorce mm-hmm. and, and its relative, you know, um, health for the individuals involved. Yeah, right. we have a very different view um, of marriage. Yes, so. extremely different. So I just thought that was like really weird for the 90s. Do you want to do a quick summary of the movie and then I'll do mine? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Or should I my, go first? Um, no, I'll do mine first. Okay. Here's my summary of Mrs. Doubtfire. Narcissists are cool as long as they're funny. <laughs> oh, fucking burn. Yeah. That's the movie. That's really <laughs> what the movie's about. Um, and, and I'll get into much more detail about that, but so excited, but what, but Kate, yeah, um, that's going to be hard to follow. I think mine is going to be, if you are a good mom in TV or in media, you're the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely yeah, have some You're either about dead that. in a Disney movie or you're the bad guy. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Oh, and I've got something to say about that when we get there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I actually have a note specifically about, like, the weird relationship this movie has with Sally Field's character and, um, like, how, how this film views antagonism and the antagonist, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, in terms of a, of a plot structure kind of point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, so, without further ado, let's, like, just dive into this thing. Let's fucking do it. Right? Um, the first scene is we are introduced to Robin Williams character, Daniel, 
Hillard, mm-hmm. right? He is a voice actor for animation. Um, you know, uh, he, this is in uh, San Francisco, I believe. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't specifically say it, but all of the architecture is just like, I'm in San Francisco. Yeah. Look it's, at all these hilly streets. It's a house. <laughs> yeah. They ride a trolley at some point. Yeah. Um, and, and he's voice acting for like this Sylvester Tweedy knockoff thing. It's mm-hmm. clearly meant to be Looney Tunes, Sylvester and Tweedy. And to establish that Robin Williams is a good guy, um, Robin Williams, uh, Daniel takes a stand against um, the, the one of the characters he's voicing smoking a cigarette, mm-hmm. um, which this was like another really big thing in the 90s. There's a huge um, anti-tobacco push because I think um, around this time, like, the the tobacco companies are finally like, fine, our product causes cancer. <laughs> All <laughs> so, right, guys, it's just a little cancer. So, um, but, the, uh, but the important part of this is to establish that, like, Robin Williams is a, you know... Moral upstanding figure. He's, he's a good guy, registered trademark, right? <laughs> um, Don't worry, and, I'm such a nice guy. That's the right yeah. word, nice guy. You know, um, and also, uh, he's funny, and he's quick-witted, mm-hmm. and he does fun voices, um, little problematic Gandhi accent. Oh, yeah. But... <laughs> Gandhi himself is baby. problematic. Like having Gandhi yeah. be the face of social responsibility and activism. That is an entire, it's a very, like, that's a very complicated issue. Um, yeah. That there's layers there. Yeah. That's, that's mm-hmm. a much heavier podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're too, we're too weak yeah. in the arms for that right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're exactly right. The, the introductory scene is essentially juxtaposing him against mm. not just a morally bankrupt world that's against him, right? Mm-hmm. Like we are definitely immediately put on defense in his uh stand, like in his stead, right? right? Like we're like, oh, how dare you? And also yeah. everyone else is boring. Life is gray unless yes. you're Robin Williams. So yes. And and so and this also like this is a save the cat moment. He's a mm-hmm. good guy. And he gets fu- well, he quits mm-hmm. for his for his morals. And um so we have now established that he is he is he is now without a job. Correct. Which like we can get into like the the economics of of voice acting and how any of that how almost none of that even makes sense. Like why wouldn't you have the conversation about the smoking before the recording session? But right. like you you didn't have to sign on to this gig. You knew that that scene was coming. Like maybe you have that right. conversation with the producers beforehand so you don't get into trouble and blah blah blah. But it, that might also be establishing Daniel as um maybe a little bit irresponsible. Right. right. Like, I think we're supposed to take that away. We're supposed to take away mm-hmm. that he's golden at heart, but he's difficult to work with. Right. Because this is kind of mm-hmm. leading us into the next scene where he. Yeah. He picks up his ahead. kids from school. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we see Mara Wilson. And I love Mara Wilson. Oh, my gosh. She's even cooler now. Like, if you're not following her on Twitter, everyone go follow her right now and try to be her best friend because she's beautiful and funny and smart. And she talks all about you know, being a child actress and she's just, she's a beautiful human being. Yeah. And she has like a really, like just this really cool, like framing and context of her own life. Like she, Mm -hmm. she really can like take that step back and analyze it from a very intelligent perspective. She's smart as hell and she's just kick ass. Yeah. So Mary Wilson. Awesome. She's a super cute little girl, super cute little girl. Possibly the best actress in the whole movie. So he picks up his kids from school and we find out that it's the, it's his son's birthday. Mm-hmm. And 
but he's he's grounded, so he's not allowed to have a birthday party. Mm-hmm. Daniel says, "F that, we're throwing a birthday party." Mm-hmm. Um, which, like, as a kid watching this, I was like, "Yeah, this is great! Party. What a fun dad!" And as as a parent mm-hmm. in a relationship, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm looking at this. And I'm like, "Why would you do that?" That's right. That is horribly disrespectful. Yep. Um, so, like, this this one scene immediately gives us a whole lot of context, right? His kids yes. really love him. They are so excited to see him when he gets there, right? All three of them, which is weird, right? Like, he has a teenage daughter. At this age, that teenage daughter should be, should pretty much want nothing to do with him, right? The little girl loving him makes sense. And obviously... Mm-hmm. The son loves him because he's a cool whatever, bro. Didn't did you catch the stripper lines? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like the he's like, oh, I've got a surprise for you, and the son is like, a surprise for you for your birthday. And the son the son says one stripper, and he goes, eh. like Robin Williams doesn't say, don't say that, respect women. Uh, yeah. He just kind of says something dismissive, and then the uh, son responds two strippers, and Robin Williams <laughs> literally goes, woo boy, and I'm like, oh. Cool. All right. Let's yeah. do this in front of your five-year-old daughter and your burgeoning into her sexuality teenage yeah. uh, daughter. Right. Cool. Right. So he's and he has, yeah he has two daughters and whatever. Um, he disregards his, the mom's wishes entirely, mm-hmm. Miranda's wishes entirely, and throws this over-the-top party. Mm-hmm. Like there's animals everywhere. There's like all the neighborhood kids are showing up. Kids that aren't even like the right age to be friends mm-hmm. with, with, um, with his son. Mm-hmm. And you start like, as a kid, like I think the audience is supposed to take away is like, oh yeah, he's a crazy, over the top, zany mm-hmm. dad. But like now I'm looking at this, I'm going like, this guy is throwing a party for himself. Mm-hmm. This party isn't for his son. This is so that he can show how awesome he is. Right. Yeah. This is over the top display of. Like affection is 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 like clearly not about the relationship he has with his son. Nope. Um, and we're supposed to think this is charming. Yeah, there's also some logistical questions here, right? A, he just lost his job being a voice actor, which probably does not pay that well. He's spending a shit ton of money. There's like a pony and a flock of ducks and a rabbit and goats and cows. And my second problem with this is who the hell owns this petting zoo? Because no one is there taking care of the animals. The ponies mm-hmm. just wandering in and out of the house. I'm like, this is horribly irresponsible, but also very expensive. And they won't just come immediately, right? Like he's not like it's not like he called the petting zoo on the way to his house. He planned to subvert his wife's uh expectations and goals, right? Mm-hmm. Like her her yeah. will. He had to do this ahead of time. This is a mm-hmm. man who doesn't plan anything. Except A, when it's for himself, and B, when it'll piss yeah. off his wife. Yes. And he's clearly, like, he's, he's like, you know, he's super selfish in this. He do- and then he, like, doing all this, he doesn't even take the bare minimum of, of, of organizing and taking care of the animals he brings mm-hmm. over, which upsets the neighbor. Mm-hmm. And the neighbor has to, the neighbor, and we're, seeing, and we're supposed to see the neighbor as, like, this, like, like this, like old true archetype. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right? She's a crow. Like, we're not supposed to think she's, we're supposed to not like her. Yeah, she. So there's a rabbit that's like wandering loose on right. a sidewalk in urban San Francisco, right. where there's lots of traffic, and the rabbit's just hopping around, and she's like trying to shoo the rabbit away from some of her plants on her front step. And there's animals everywhere; like it looks really bad. Yeah, but she does yeah. what? She goes up and she calls his wife. She calls right. his wife because at that work. That makes sense. 
Yeah. I'd also like to point out the fact that she has his wife's work number. So this is probably not the first time that this has happened. Right. Right. Like, well, I mean, th- th- also, this was like the 90s where I think people knew their neighbors. <laughs> yeah, but like their work number, like that's a lot. Like the only reason you would need a work number is because something happened to your kids. Or, that's like, true. That's fair. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we like how dare this woman want peace and quiet in her home at the end right, of the Because the music's really loud. You know? There's animals everywhere. Yeah. Kids um, roaming around with no parents or adults around. <laughs> yeah. So this just like begins to start like. We, we've, we've started to paint this picture of Daniel mm-hmm. and he's like this kind of like selfish and I'm, I'm going to get to narcissistic at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's narcissistic sociopath. Um, and we start to paint this picture of him and like, so, and I think this movie could be totally forgiven if these were all painted as like, these are our hero's fatal flaws mm-hmm. that he's going to need to get over and like learn his lesson to have a transformation like that's his character arc Mm -hmm. but that's not where this movie goes (laughs) that's not where this movie goes at all nope and i'm like just because i have some memories about this film and i'm like oh it's okay because at the end there's the courtroom scene and he gets his comeuppance and then you get there and it's not that but we'll get there nope so we finally we, we we the phone call transfers us to miranda yeah, we meet Miranda and, for the first time. Yeah. And this is Miranda's opening scene. This is where we establish her as a character, the things she find, she like values and finds important. And I think this is a really good first scene. I do. So, like, all we know about her before this is, oh, she's a tough mom because she grounded her son because he has bad grades. Mm-hmm. God forbid. God forbid a mom mm-hmm. do mom things. Yep. Or parent things, I should say. Or parent things parent at all. Things. Yeah. Yeah. So we meet Miranda. She is a businesswoman at a design firm. Like she's a mm-hmm. designer, but she's we, she's coded as like businesswoman, competent. She wears pantsuits. She's a modern woman of the 90s. She's right? incredibly competent. She's controlling right. an entire room of people. Yes. Yes. An entire room of, of, of men, I believe. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I think most yeah. of them are men. Right. And these are all like good guy things. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at her and she's coming and like, you could almost be like, okay, cool. This is like a modern movie. They're actually painting her in a good light. Yeah. She's a, she's um, a person. She has this job that she really enjoys and is super good at, you know, she's mm-hmm. well-dressed and she's like, yep. I mean, she's beautiful. She's Sally Fields. Right. So. Right. Yeah. And we established like the scene, basically she's, 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 you know, presenting in a room full of men. She's taking control of the situation. Mm-hmm. We do some foreshadowing of stuff that's going to happen later in the film involving uh, Pierce Brosnan's character. Mm-hmm. And, I wonder um, if we're supposed to read this coded as she's already evil because she's controlling men. Was that was there that undercurrent ooh. in the nineties? Right, like oh, it's that bitch, one of those bitches that got promoted yeah. because of feminism. Right. Well, no, this is the thing though. Like we 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 take these these good guy traits and then the very like next half of the scene, mm-hmm. we recontextualize them because she she goes home early after the phone call. I assume. Well, mm-hmm. And all of a sudden she becomes, she comes home to her house completely destroyed. Can we take a step back for just a second? Oh yeah, absolutely. I feel like they immediately weaken her, the view of her character as soon as her, I guess it's his, her boss or something, right? Comes up and talks about Stuart. Right. And as soon as he mentions Stuart, she turns into like a, 
a fainting Lily, right? She's like, oh, mm. Stuart. So, like, we are immediately uh, informed that she has a weird weakness or romantic leanings for Stuart, Ooh. right? Like, she immediately... Did, okay. did you catch that? Like, she's like... I, I yeah, like not... she's a little flirty and breathy after he talked. Right. Like he's like, "Do you know Stuart, whoever?" And she's like, "Yeah, I know him." Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I didn't catch that at all. I interpret it more as like, "Oh, he's a big fish," right? That that she needs to land as a client, and then later we find out that they have history, mm-hmm. right? I I found I like I realize that history immediately from that conversation mm. because you know she... what, maybe that's like the different like you know my very perspective, male yeah. perspective, mm-hmm. and your your female perspective. Absolutely, now, that's interesting. That's yeah, because before she was very commanding. She had a different tone of voice. She goes, she's talking to her boss, even as she talks to him. And he's like, hey, can I talk to you for a second? Because he pulls her out of the meeting to talk about this, right? This is before mm-hmm. the phone call happens. And he's like, hey, do you know Stuart? He's buying this mansion. And he asked for you specifically. And she gets all doughy eyed. So like mm. she was a professional, competent person until another, like until a man was mentioned. Yeah. So. But anyway, sorry, I just wanted to point man. that out. Oh my God, he's so handsome. But anyway, I just wanted that to be established. Like, they're like, look at this strong woman, unless there's a hot man around. Right. Continue. Yeah. Um, So, so we recontextualize her. I guess she she gets a little recontextualization with uh, the mention of Stuart. And then a broader recontextualization when she gets home and her house is destroyed. Um, And then she becomes um, this, this, the, 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 the shrew. The, the, sh- the 90s mom stereotype, mm-hmm. which I feel like is not like this film's fault. It was more reflective of like the broader like kind of societal view mm-hmm. that that society took of, of moms as the yeah. disciplinarian, mm-hmm. as the, the, the harsh taskmaster, mm-hmm. you know, and the dad yeah, like, as the goofy fun guy. Or right? yeah, goofy, fun, dumb. Right. So like mm-hmm. you have your everybody loves Raymond, Deborah, yeah. and you have like all of the oh, so many TV shows where it's like, here's the immature, childish husband that the wife puts up with for some mysterious reason. And he is constantly under her thumb. And yes, right. Like it just pervades this decade. So we establish this kind of like. Career woman equals bad mom. Or, like, not fun mom. Yeah. Right? There are a few lines that definitely insinuate that, like, Miranda's career focus hurts her relationship with her children. And therefore, she is, like, quote, bad mom. Or at the very minimum, no fun mom. Which was, like, this common 90s trope, which, like, definitely was reflective of how society viewed different parental roles. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a backlash to women entering the career field, right? Oh, absolutely it is. Women's place is not in the office place. Right? It's at home taking care of the kids. Yeah. You can't have both. You can be a good right. mom or a good business person. Mm-hmm. Um, but And this is like reinforced later in the film when when, when the, the character of Mrs. Doubtfire gets introduced. <laughs> yep. And I have some things to say about that. Like... We're taking a lot of time, I think, here with the introduction of both of these characters because I Mm -hmm. feel like it communicates so much about the rest of the film and where the film is going. It absolutely Um, does because we need to humanize Sally Fields because they're not going to do it. Right. Yeah. Like, it's it's just weird. And what is bizarre is how – and maybe this was true at the time too. Like, sometimes I wonder, like, 
how did my mother feel watching this film? You know? Mm. Like, how did my parents feel? Because, like, I, I know my family dynamic at home was very similar. My mother was the disciplinarian. My dad was mm. kind of like he, um, he was the traditional kind of breadwinner. Um, you know, when he was around, it was fun times. And right. when he wasn't, it's because he was working. He was bringing, he was working. And then my mother was the one who had to actually, like, you know, discipline us and, and make sure we were not being complete assholes. Right. Um, By the time that this movie came out, my parents had already been divorced. Okay. Um, oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. So they divorced when I was very young. So my mom was a single mom, which essentially Sally Fields also is. And, um, mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. So, absolutely. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really remember what my feelings about the divorce parts were. Maybe they just felt normal. I don't mm -hmm. know. Um, but my mom was absolutely, I'm going to find it. I'm going to try to find a nice way to articulate this because I want to be, I want to be as empathetic to her as I can now that I'm an adult and I understand so much more about how difficult the position she was in was. Yeah. But she had to be everything, right? And so right. she had these two kids. My little brother has special needs, so her life was automatically way harder. And even before my dad and her got divorced, he was definitely either A, the fun dad, or at least wildly irresponsible. Like, right. we have a story where he stopped watching me because he wanted to take a shower. And I think I was two or three. And by the time he got out of the shower, I had opened the front door and I had walked three or four blocks away. Like I was, I was fucking out of the house. Oh um, yeah. No, you cannot trust a three-year-old. No. Ever. And definitely at least lock the upper deadbolts or something. But yeah, I was yeah. gone and we lived in a really bad neighborhood. So. Oh man. Yeah. Um, there were drug dealers and like, we were very poor. We lived in a really terrible area and yeah. And of course it was like, oh, whatever. It's not a big deal. It is a big deal. Your three-year-old tiny baby daughter is wandering around the streets alone, you know? But anyway, so yeah, that's definitely the dynamic my parents had, but they had already exploded, so. Yeah. And speaking of exploding, this is when Daniel and uh, Miranda's relationship explodes, or this right. is like the straw that breaks the camel's back. You definitely... Mm -hmm. Like the there's definitely the implication the that back. yeah the pony. There's definitely the implication <laughs> that this is this kind of thing is a regular occurrence all the time, all the time. And Miranda is done dealing with it, and justifiably so. She's in a big meeting when we meet her, and then she mm -hmm. leaves immediately to come home. She leaves mm -hmm. in the middle of like her work day. The kids just got out of school. School gets out at like two or three. Like it gets out way earlier than you think, and she just immediately drops everything. <laughs> like I guess they mm -hmm. run the rest of the meeting without her and she's like I'm sorry I have to go deal with my fucking mess of a husband yeah and and, who, and Daniel's all like oh but I was going to clean it up before you got home there was no way that house <laughs> was getting clean no fucking by way. the end of the day that was like a multi-day cleanup job and like <laughs> repairs there was literally a child oh, yeah. hanging from the chandelier oh yeah oh yeah and you, yeah. And you know there was just all kinds of animal droppings everywhere, everywhere. Especially Everywhere. because, like, he even makes a joke about the pony having had a lot of water. Like, they're, yeah. the, the animals are just pissing and shitting all over the house. Right. So, like, even if he cleaned it up, that house was still going to smell like a barnyard. Mm -hmm. And they're um, dancing on the table. There's, mm -hmm. like, kids wandering in and out everywhere. Like, right. You don't, you don't fix a dented, broken table. 
they have the argument. Robin Williams and Daniel and Miranda have this argument, and he mm-hmm. refuses to take responsibility. And again, mm-hmm. this is the beginning of the movie, so like I can I can be really cool if this is his fatal flaw. He refuses mm-hmm. to take responsibility, and he needs to learn that lesson by the end of the film. But again, he doesn't. He doesn't learn that lesson, and it drives me nuts. And he blames her. He does. Ah. Uh. He's like, well, I wouldn't have to do this if you were more fun, if you were around for the kids. And then, like, finally, Miranda drops the, d- the, the divorce bomb. The D word. And Robin Williams, go- like, like a fucking narcissist, goes into, like, then he starts to, like, panic and, like, try, mm-hmm. to, try to, like, make things better. Mm-hmm. And then at one point he says, let's go on vacation. You're better when you're on vacation. You're yeah. better. Mm-hmm. You're better. <laughs> you're better when you're, you're not a different person. <laughs> yeah, remember when you used to be fun? When you weren't supporting a giant man child? <laughs> uh... Yeah. Like, that's. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, she doesn't even. She doesn't even object to that line she just says our problems would be with us like we would be waiting for us when we got when we got back right yeah so like yes i am a better person but you know what (laughs) yeah it's not that she's a better person it's that she has less to carry right now she's carrying an entire family she's carrying Mm -hmm. she they have an enormous house and it's beautiful and it's in san francisco she clearly makes a lot of money which probably means that she works very hard because a she's a woman in the 90s working Mm -hmm. in business and yeah fairly high up at her firm fairly well respected at her firm you don't you don't get that like even like (laughs) man or woman you do not get there without a truckload of work yeah you don't get there by accident because she women don't fail upwards you know like she had to scrabble (laughs) for every every single fucking inch she got she had to scrabble to be able to tell those men what type of coffee table to put in that room you know so um so here she is having made all of these sacrifices and working so hard. And at this point, he doesn't even know. She doesn't even know he's lost his job again. Right. She doesn't even know that yet. Yeah. He doesn't even mention that. He, she just comes home to this party. Yeah. I wonder if there's a version of the script where like that comes up too. Oh, and like she had presents and she had a cake made that yeah. has like a little soccer ball. And yeah. like she wasn't heartless. She wasn't going to like completely ignore her son's yeah. birthday. She he just, to... he effed up and he had, you know, that was his punishment. No crazy right. party. Yeah. They were That's still going to do presents and some sort of cake. And she clearly loves him. And like she either already had the cake picked up that day around all the other stuff she had to do, or she picked mm-hmm. it up on the way home or something. Right. Like, and the presents were wrapped. Like, Mm-hmm. Yeah, she put effort into this. Right. Um, so we end the scene like they're they're getting separated. Mm-hmm. The you kids know, are watching or listening kid, the whole yeah, time. Yeah, the kids are listening the whole time because I mean I don't know. They're sitting on the stairs. Yeah. They're sitting on the stairs listening through the walls. The parents mm-hmm. yell at each other. I think that's an image I think a lot of young children at the time and now can identify with. Absolutely. They can with that. Daniel's kicked out of the house and we get to meet like some of my favorite characters in the he's film. He's not kicked out yet because there's a dramatic scene later where he leaves, right? So yeah, yeah. But he does cl- he does go to stay with his oh that's true his gay yeah. brother, which yes, I love Frank. I love I love Uncle Frank. I do too. And, and Aunt Jack. <laughs> and Aunt Jack. I have a lot of feelings <laughs> which, like, about this though. I don't like that they called Jack Aunt Jack. I I, assume I feel like that's weird. 
I assume that this is a choice on his part. And the only reason I assume that is I have a lot of, you know, friends that are gender fluid or, Mm -hmm. you know, non-binary. And so, like, I have a couple who, like, one of my dear friends and her partner, they're married, and he likes to be called her wife's bend. Okay. Because but, he, hey, if, yeah. If that's if that's how the movie wants to play it, that'd be fine. But I, I yeah. always got the feeling that this was it was supposed to be a joke right. because they're gay and one's the man and one's the woman. Because even in a gay relationship, something has to be heterosexual about it. Yeah, I hope that's not true. Yeah, but I could totally see that because there's nothing else that's forgiving about this movie. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is, if you are a gay couple and one of you wants to be called auntie, fucking go for it. That's sure. Awesome. Yeah. F it. Um, but I love I love Uncle Jack and I love the dynamic. Or I love Uncle Frank, and I love the dynamic that they that Jack and Frank have. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, I love Daniel's relationship with his brother. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's just it's it's warm, it's fuzzy, mm-hmm. it's fun, it's non-judgmental. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, give me more yeah. of that. Yeah, they clearly love each other, right? Yes, and I mean, you can also tell that Frank knows who his brother is, right? Frank knows his brother's a fuck up. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. like Frank clearly has oh, this man. blossoming business. They do some sort of like theater or TV, like yeah. it seems costume like they do making. prosthetic makeup for, yeah. for film and stage. And they're really good sure. at it. And they work in yeah. it together. And like they have there's a, a point where Frank like calls Jack a bitch or says something like that. But it's in like that. I'm taking this word back kind of playful mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, we love each other and we goad each other kind of way. So you can kind of take that either way, right? Like, you can take that as, oh, yeah. uh, gay people are always catty. I don't feel right. that. I don't know. But it, it feels like William Defoe in The Boondocks. Yeah. Um, but, like, the also, that's, that's a whole other fucking movie. Yeah. <laughs> that's another that's, podcast. That feels but. more self-loathing to me than this version, it definitely right? Where does. they're just, like, yeah. playful. Like, I'll call yeah. my husband yeah, yeah. a jerk sometimes, right? Or mm-hmm. a butthead <laughs> or whatever, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Um, so yeah, we established the only healthy relationship in, uh, the movie. Yeah, absolutely. And it's wonderful. And I want that movie. Yeah. I want um, the, I will the say, Jack and Frank movie. Yeah. We can mention this later, but it's interesting that these two characters never actually interact with the family unit. No, they're completely separate, which they, they are. They never talk to the kids. They never see the kids. They don't go to the birthday party. They don't go to anything. Like they're never... Um, they only interact with Robin Williams. And I think that that is its own commentary on the acceptance of, um, yeah. Queerness in the nineties. Sure. Right. Like, yeah. well, I, sure. I, I, I also know a lot of scenes got cut from this film. Maybe there was mm-hmm. one in there. I hope that but, they had a, a bigger role, but like, yeah, this definitely fills that narrative of, you know, we're not in the eighties anymore. So being gay is okay. As long as you do it far away from me. Right, yeah, mm-hmm. but mm. not in my backyard, <laughs> you know. Right, no, this film, yeah, and there, there was like I just said, actually, there was a lot of cut from this film. This film is a very tight film. As an mm-hmm. aside, this film is like super tight. Like every scene kind of serves a really good purpose. Mm-hmm. It's a two-hour movie, but it does not feel like a two-hour movie. It feels it like a tight. Quick. It feels like a tight ninety-minute film, and mm-hmm. it's not. It's it's longer. Um, yep. So f- one thing said in this film's praise it is really well paced mm-hmm. um because we go f- right from like real quick we introduce you know frank and jack mm-hmm. just as like a small little scene you know there's some jokes in there 
about, you know, about his mom offering to, that he could stay on their couch, whatever. Mm-hmm. And we go from there to the courtroom, which establishes the rules for the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. He has 90 days to get the, his life together. Um, and he'll get to see his kids more. But until then, he does not get to see his kids except for once a week. Yeah. Also, sorry to step back again, but it's interesting mm-hmm. that he has the same relationship with his mom that he has with his wife. Explain. So his mom is talking on the phone to his brother, Frank. He doesn't want to talk to his mom. Now he's mm. experiencing this serious thing. He's saying, no, I don't want to talk to you. No, I don't want to come sleep on your couch, right? Tell her I'm not here. Tell her I don't want to talk, whatever. Like he and his mom on the phone is made to sound naggy, like the final evolution of what his wife would become, right? Mm. She's like the overbearing, oh, but tell him that I'm whatever. And how is he doing? Like she's actually just being a caring mom who's calling to check on her son who's getting divorced. But instead she's treated like a nuisance. Right. Just and, like and his fucking further, wife. Further illustrating Daniel's inability to handle any of the women in his life. Actually, um, further on, we, we, when we get to later, I'm going to talk about how his life, the movie portrays that his life is basically controlled and ruled by humorless women. Mm. And which is his oh, greatest yeah, weakness the, uh... because he's, he's, you know, he's, he's a man mm-hmm. and humor is his weapon. Mm-hmm. So the fact that his wife is controlled by humorless women is an interesting point of fact. Um, so we get the we go to the the courtroom. We establish mm-hmm. the rules of the rest of the movie. Ninety days, you know, blah blah blah. Which we should say is very generous. Like courts oh, don't super do generous. that. Yeah. That's not a thing. You have nowhere to live and you have no job. You don't get kids, right? Like, yeah, what but, are you, you going to do? He's, have fun with him a, in the dumpster a outside the Chinese restaurant? Male. He can do whatever he wants. Middle-aged white men were the superheroes of the 90s. They could do whatever they wanted. <laughs> yeah, just give them six months and they'll be a CEO by accident. In the 90s, we were all Jeff Bezos. <laughs> so, like, he get, so we, we finish the court scene, establish the rules. He goes and gets the, rest of his, the last of his stuff from, from, uh, his, from Miranda's house. Right. Also, in the, in the court scene, we have the first, oh, but I'm a father and I can't live without my oh, children. Yeah. Yeah. What? I will die immediately. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And that's the weird thing. Like his, his relation with his children is always framed in like his need mm-hmm. for his children. It's never, we are never, except for one instance, we, are, we never actually see anything about the role that he fills in his children's life. Mm-hmm. Like at no point do we establish that his children need him. It is mm-hmm. only ever that he needs his children. It's actually the opposite. Like they start to thrive when he's allegedly not there. Right. Um, the only time we see anything about the needs of the children is um, Merrill Wilson's character um, who likes it when her dad reads her stories. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the only need that we see Daniel fulfilling. Right. Everything but, like, else she is about also how Daniel likes it feels. When Mrs. Doubtfire reads to her, right? And Mrs. Right, Doubtfire right. can't do the weird voices because then she'll know it's her dad. So right. she just likes being read to, which means her mom's probably too fucking busy raising enough money for that house mm-hmm. and three kids in San Francisco to be able to do yeah. that at night, right? Yeah. And and the mother in law is a shrew. That's established. Oh, it is, <laughs> yes. So Yeah. Do really brief any? blink and you miss it. And the mother-in-law fills every mother-in-law trope you've ever seen. Yeah, It's true. She's just standing on the steps when he gets his stuff. So, yeah, you're right. Right now, we have no good female characters. None. No. Like, we, yeah. Miranda was almost there. 
Yeah, they're all evil or shrewish. We'll, we'll, we'll get this out of the way. This way. movie does not pass the Bechdel test. You know what? At the beginning, Sally Fields is talking to people about work. But they're all men. They're all men. Yeah. Fuck. She has And no every friends. time she talks to Mrs. Doubtfire, it's about a man. Mm-hmm. It's usually about Daniel. Yeah. Or Stuart. Yeah, or Stuart. But it's always like, yeah, it's always about Daniel or Stuart. And mm-hmm. it's always, when it's ever it's about Daniel, it's always forgiving all of his flaws. Whenever it's about Stuart, it's making up flaws <laughs> about yes. Stuart. So we're, we're at the scene where he, he gets all the stuff. We get the mother-in-law trope. Um, the court liaison, he, he has his little court liaison bit where he meets Mrs. Selner, mm-hmm. who's another humorless woman. Mm-hmm. And this woman has literal control over his future. Mm-hmm. But she only has like two scenes and then we never see her again. Which is a bummer because she's <laughs> a cool It is a bummer. Character. Good character. And I think played well off of like her straight laced, like straight, like quote straight man performance mm-hmm. played really well against Robin Williams' character. Yeah. Because it's not that she's humorless, it's that she has no time for his bullshit. Yeah, she's busy. Right. Like, yeah. this is not and the that, time to be funny. Is, this is yeah. talking about your children's welfare. Yeah. Like, I don't care how well you can make voices. And I don't know why you decided to take out my time by making... Because at some point he goes on, like, a tirade of, like, 40 different impressions of stuff. Yeah. Right? Which, and that's, and that, yeah, that's, and that's the scene's really purpose, is just to give Robin Williams a scene to do Robin Williams shit. Mm-hmm. And for us to, like, just laugh. Mm-hmm. Because Robin Williams is a funny, charming guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she immediately dismantles him at the end by saying, do you think you're humorous? Yeah, you and of course he has, to, he has to end it with a quip. <laughs> it's like, yeah. well, I used to. I used to. <laughs> um, um, oh, but like, but, you, you know. proved me wrong today or something? Like, Right, yeah. It's, like, it's not you, fucking I, all about you. I have 14 other shitty dads to see today. You right, know? yeah. Some worse, some better than you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, you know, courtroom bit, humorless woman, control his life, and he mm-hmm. just cannot handle it. He has to try to make Miss Selner laugh, and he cannot because it is outside of his power. Mm-hmm. He lacks empathy mm-hmm. for the women in his life, mm-hmm. which would be great if that was the arc that we were going on in this movie, but it's yeah. not. Yeah. It's not. It's not. <laughs> yeah, women Just, are only only served to be his audience at this point, right? Like yes. his audience, or I guess to give him more audience in his his wife's case, because mm-hmm. she gave him a tiny captive audience, and that's the thing that he values about his marriage. Because you notice he's not like he doesn't miss her. He never talks about how much he wants her back. He just wants his life and his kids back, right? And his yeah. life being a super cushy life where he can hop between jobs and have these morals that are more important than his family. And, and all of this would be fine if this was all painted as a flaw, but right. it's not. This is painted as endearing and charming and like not something he has to solve. Yeah. Like the things that the flaws that he's supposed to have is that he's like messy mm-hmm. and like a little irresponsible in the way that most humans are irresponsible. But the thing is, is like he's irresponsible in the way most humans are not irresponsible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we move on and we meet Pierce Brosnan's character, James. Stuart? Or Stuart. Yes. Stuart. Yeah. Why do I think his name is James? Probably because he's going to play James Bond in a couple of years. Ooh. Um, 
Fun story. This is actually this role that probably got him James Bond. What? Um, yeah. So this was before like Goldeneye was the first time Brosnan was was James Bond. Um, I know he impressed Chris Columbus wow. with with this role that he played in this film. And Chris, later on, Chris Columbus recommended Brosnan for Bond um, when they were when they were um, casting a new Bond for Goldeneye. Wow, that's really cool. So, so that's your that's your. Mrs. Doubtfire, James Bond connection. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to be said that I think Stuart is a really good guy with one exception. Can I say my yeah. exception? Oh, I want to hear um, your exception. Yeah. So <laughs> my exception is that. So for most of the time that we see Stuart, he's being a pretty stand-up dude, right? Mm-hmm. But the very first time we're introduced to him is when he comes into the office to talk to Miranda about yes. the mansion, right? Like yes, he, yes, he bought yes, this like yes. 1800s mansion. And so I firmly believe that he only bought this mansion to contrive a reason to see Miranda. And so he comes into her office. She has all of this work done, right? Like she's got sketches up on the, on the, what are those things? Easels, whatever, like the yeah, little on the stands, easels, on the boards, and then like those the like, presentations. The yeah, whole paper all over the table, and she's talking about all of her ideas for how to restore and like refurbish and furnish this beautiful old house. And she's clearly put like a lot of thought mm-hmm. and work into this, right? Like she's got the themes down, and she's talking about draperies. Yeah. And he's and like, all he's no, no, doing no, no. is flirting with her. Yes, he's just he hitting is. on her the whole time. He's like, oh, I just have never thought, never stopped thinking about you, and I love wasting your time during the work day and you're supposed to be incredibly flattered by this instead of like well when are we actually going to get this work done like do you yeah. still want this house decorated yeah. miranda yeah. is a consummate professional throughout the whole thing like she she's is. being hit on non-stop she probably deals with this on a regular basis she probably as a woman does in power in in industry yeah and she just keeps going she does because miranda she's like- is the the real mvp she is. Yeah. So it's clear that he's very interested in her. We're supposed to think it's really sweet that he's done this. I think it's yeah. creepy. Um, oh, I think so he bad. should have been like, hey, let's talk about all this. And then maybe at the end, I can ask you for lunch or whatever. Right. Like be mm-hmm. a human being. But instead, he, he flirts with her and then he just gets up and leaves. Right. And it's he's like, like oh, uh, you're not interested in the flirting. So I've got yeah. I've got other good things to do. Okay, bye. Um, <laughs> well, you know, the fun thing is like in an earlier one of the drafts of the script, he was the antagonist of the film. It wasn't going to be like, he wasn't supposed to be a stand-up guy, uh, at least in one of the early drafts. He was supposed to be, you know, the villain. Like, mm. like he, he had plans to get rid of the kids and send them off to boarding school. Oh, snap. And like, he was going to seduce Miranda because Miranda has no agency in that version of the script. Which, to this film's credit, like at least Miranda has agency and she's a woman, she knows what she wants. Right. And she is unapologetic about it. And I well, do love that about this film. Well, till the end where I have I have major problems with the end of this movie. I'm going to push back a little bit on that. Mm-hmm. Because essentially, so she's just gone through or is going through this really bad divorce, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Stuart comes into her life and starts putting a lot of pressure on her, right? Like he yeah. is forcing her to interact with him by being a client of hers. So she mm-hmm. can't get away from him. And when she does talk to him, all he talks about is her. And it's also worth noting that when he flirts with her for most of this time, he doesn't realize she's divorced. So at some point, yeah. he knew she was married and he was still pursuing her randomly. Um, and I feel like the speed at which their relationship progresses 
is a little bit manipulative only because she's yeah, reeling yeah, from is, a 15 is. year marriage. It does seem really rapid. Yeah. Um, like, cause like the, if you were to really go through this film, like beat by beat and you tried mm-hmm. to figure out a time frame, you only have like two Fridays in there. Yeah. Or, or two Saturdays. Um, or Saturdays whatever, whatever and like, was. yeah. Like the timeline is definitely messed up, but it's definitely yeah. less than a month or two, right? Because by the yeah, time they go yeah, back to the court and he's all weird. Yeah, it's, it's early. It's pre-90 days. Yes. So, it is before three months and yeah. at least somewhere between two weeks and three months, right? Yeah. So the, the way I look at it is I, I think what happened was there was an early version of the script where Pierce Brosnan's character, Stuart, was much more villainous. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of like... When they when they rewrote it to make him to be more more um, empathetic to his his character, mm-hmm. they probably kept some of the stuff that was like borderline, or at least considered borderline at the time. I don't know if it would be con- like I feel like that is a very standard romantic comedy sort of thing, yeah. right? Okay, so but maybe it'd be borderline we, now, but it shouldn't. It's be. definitely borderline now. But the whole yeah. romantic overtures and I f- I chased you down in an airport or I've been following you in the grocery store. How romantic am I? You're yeah, not romantic. Creepy. You're a fucking creepy stalker. Do not follow women around and do not harass them in their workplace. Do not do it. I don't care how yeah, hot like your waitress is. 15 years after you've yeah. known this lady, you're yeah. still You haven't seen or talked years. to her in 15 years. And now yeah. you're like, okay, remember that person that I used to like? Um, and I guess she's still around and she's actually doing really well at her job. Maybe I should go ruin that somehow. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also want to point out at this point, because it's not something that I considered the first time that I watched this movie. Miranda is incredibly isolated. She has no friends. Mm, yeah. She doesn't absolutely. have a good relationship with her, um, children. She barely has a relationship with her mom, I guess. Right. Like we see her mom in a 10 second uh, just the, yeah, scene, just one scene and we never see her again. Mm-hmm. Um, she's been in this 15 year marriage with this man who doesn't listen to her or talk about anything serious. Uh, clearly they don't have a good sex life. So she has nothing but work and what she wishes was her family. Yeah. And that's where we have her. So it's very easy right now to come in and be anything and still get her attention because mm-hmm. even though she doesn't have a good relationship with her husband, He's still the familiar thing that when is gone, there is a hole, right? So she's feeling these feelings of failure. Her, her marriage has failed, right? Like she even talked about, it started going bad almost immediately because that's what happens when you marry a narcissist who doesn't take anything seriously. But they still had three kids pretty far apart, right? Like yeah, his, yeah. his youngest like daughter. All together yeah, nothing. his youngest daughter is five and his oldest daughter is like, what, 15 or 16? Yeah. So like... Maybe she was even an attempt to save the marriage or something, right? Um, right. And she did all this while having a career. She had three right. kids. And she went through three pregnancies. While, while, he, while he couldn't even hold down a voice acting gig. <laughs> right? And she looks fantastic. Like, like right. clearly the woman also makes time to hit the gym because she looks great. But anyway, <laughs> so she's incredibly isolated and very vulnerable yep. right now. And then this man swoops in. Yep. Then, so continue. In. And that's problematic. And, and I, you know, it's... It, Again, I think this is one of those situations of art, like kind of reflecting society at the time where like this mm-hmm. is considered romantic and, and probably even now this would be considered romantic, but it really, 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 really shouldn't be. Right. Um, what should have happened. Yeah. Um, what should have happened is she should have said, hey, I'm going through a really bad divorce and yeah. I've been married for 15 years. I need to take a year off. Yeah. yeah can we just 
table this and revisit it in a year when I've had some therapy and I've reconnected with my children. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That absolutely needed to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and we go from there and we, we go to Robin Williams, uh, Daniel's apartment, mm -hmm. right? His apartment. And it's, it's the stereotypical like bachelor mess. Mm -hmm. He can't clean anything. He's hopeless. The kids are eating Chinese takeout. <laughs> it's awful. He can't even cook. Mm -hmm. um, giant man child. Yeah. Giant man child. Also, where's he um, getting his money? Like, it's a nice apartment, actually, even though it's messy, right? Like, there's this yeah. beautiful bay window. It's I mean, I think, it's, spo I think it's supposed to be, I think it's supposed to be a not nice apartment. I think like, so. Because, like, he's in a kind of, like, when you see it later, it's, like, in this kind of, like, shady part of town. But it's, like, on top of um, a bakery. That It probably smells great all the time. <laughs> I mean, it probably does. <laughs> like, it's probably really nice. And, yeah. like... But we're also looking at this like from the lens of millennials, where we have to pay yeah. like two thousand dollars for a studio apartment somewhere, yeah, somewhere like, not oh, fun. I sure wish I know? could have a shed. <laughs> yeah, we're like this was in the nineties. You could put, they were like basically just giving those away. Yeah. Um, so like I don't know. Like I think that's definitely like our lens kind of distorting it. It's probably like, the, true. It's it's a one bedroom apartment with a bathroom and a kitchen. You yeah, know? I, I feel like there's um, two bedrooms, but yeah, that's fair. I could also there might just, be two bedrooms. Yeah, I could fucks with that apartment. It looks great. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, you kidding? In San Francisco this time? It's I mean, San this Francisco. is also like this is. I mean, this is also the era that gave us Friends. You oh know? yeah, and, and oh, the rent mysterious, control, you know? <laughs> mysterious rent controlled apartment that goes yeah. through 14 different layers to get to. Yeah, God forbid you give yeah. people affordable housing. Anyway, yeah. but this in this scene we uh, we further establish Miranda as the antagonist and the bad guy. Mm -hmm. because she comes early mm -hmm. to pick up the kids. And mm -hmm. apparently she came late to drop off the kids. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how I feel about this scene. It's hard. Because, like, everyone's an ass. Like, this is this is a, everyone's the asshole situation. Everyone is the asshole, yeah. Uh, the way that he responds to this situation is not healthy or good for his children. Mm -hmm. And, you know, also the way Miranda's handling the situation is not healthy or good if more empathizable because she's a busy woman who has to do all mm -hmm. the things now. Right. And he yeah. clearly does nothing because he has no job. Mm -hmm. He has nothing. Um, yeah. So like she drives up and she honks. Right. So they're yeah. up having dinner and they're having like some hard conversations and he's making some jokes and trying to make the kids laugh. And they laugh because, you know, their dad's a clown um, and they're eating yeah. shitty Chinese food and she honks and he says, Oh, and then like, I think it's little, little natty that says, Oh, yeah, mom's here. Yeah. And, and then he says, like, you're my goddamn kids, too. Well, first he, has he, says, a, he has an emotional outburst. Yeah. Well, first he says, you don't have to go when your mom honks or something. Right. And then later he does, like, the uh, – they try to get up because I think she honks again. So she's downstairs in a busy San Francisco area, right? Like, she probably can't mm -hmm. find parking. Um, and they're all just sitting around. It's not like they're having a super great time, right? They're sitting and eating Chinese food, not even on plates. So, right. And then, yeah, you're right. He yells. He says, you're my goddamn kids, too. And all of the kids get really quiet and they look scared. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like, oh, this is like, we don't we don't futz with dad when he gets serious like this. Right. Which kind like, of tells this me like, this has happened before. Right. Like, right. Just really weird, uncomfortable relationships. Yeah. Like he, he only has two modes. Super mm -hmm. angry. Or making jokes, which is yeah, terrifying. Like Daniel is a man who needs therapy. He like this, he needs to does. work through some shit. Yeah. Like what? Uh -oh. There's something going on in his life that he never grew up. Peter Pan. 
He does have you Peter know? Pan syndrome. Yeah. Which is funny because he just played Hook. Yeah. He just played, <laughs> he just played Peter Pan and Hook. Well, that's how they knew he'd be so good at this role. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Miranda comes up. You yeah, know, she have, lets herself in, too. Yeah, like, she lets herself bursts in. Bursts into the door. Which is a bit much. Not great. Yeah. Um, and then we establish, like, the next... This is the rest of the film, right? We mm-hmm. establish that she's looking for outside help. She has an ad. He manipulates Miranda into showing him the ad. Mm-hmm. By basically he, forcing her and saying, yeah, oh, her, like, I'm oh, their dad. I have a right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like very, this is very kind of narcissistic gaslighty behavior. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's sociopathic. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but we're supposed to be, we're supposed to think it's like, he's charming. Clever. Remember? He's charming. He's the fun he's dad. He's so charming. Yeah. And then he changes the number on the ad, mm-hmm. you know, to manipulation. Mm-hmm. And then he begins, begins his kind of terrorist plot. Yeah. He begins, he begins his plot. This is, this is his decision. We are now into act two. Like, this is, one, this is the fun and games, but also this is the, like, the journey we are now going on. Yeah, and it's weird because he he concocted this plot in 30 seconds. Right, Like, this yeah, is how his know. mind works. He's a yeah. fucking sociopath. He's like, I know exactly what I'm going to do. Yep. Yep. And it's clear that he didn't think it all the way through, but he had a plan. He had a much bigger plan. Yeah, he's um, not a good planner of details, yeah. right? And we and this is when we get into... He starts using his talent as a voice actor mm-hmm. to pretend to be all these different terrible nannies. Right. Um, and this and is a, just another another scene where Robin Williams gets to be Robin Williams. This is like another improv scene. You know, there's a few of these throughout the film, right? There's the scene with Miss right. Selner. Now there's this scene where he gets to play a bunch of different characters and be Robin Williams and be funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like funny is charming. Mm-hmm. But when you break it down, it's like, this is really messed up. And also, one of the characters he, he pretends to be um, is a trans woman, yep. which is played as disqualifying. It's not only disqualifying, it's a trans woman who hates men. Right. Like, th- like I don't I take don't... care of the males because I used to be one. Yeah. So, we're immediately supposed to be like, oh, this is terrible. And right. Also... This is awful and awkward and Miranda is transphobic yeah <laughs> there's like this underlying idea that if you're a trans woman it's because you hate all men right. like and you shouldn't be like around that. kids and you shouldn't be around kids which also comes up later which i'm sure we will get to yeah um, oh yeah that comes up oh, oh my gosh my god uh, yeah so like but he's he's harassing her and it's not all at yeah. once right like oh, he's, no, he's calling like calling her, her over time over a period of time different she's, like, she's exhausted in- by the end of it yeah, she's uh, she's in bed sometimes. I think he calls her at work mm-hmm. once or twice. Like he is doing that. Like this has become a thing, and he is he's he's harassing her. There's no other way to describe it, right? Mm-hmm. And removing her agency for hiring someone. Yeah, and so finally he goes to his killing stroke. Mm-hmm. This is when he becomes Euphigenia Doubtfire, mm-hmm. and he calls and becomes this perfect British nanny. Mm-hmm. And like ob- immediately, Miranda smitten. But when Miranda asks for her name, we find out that Daniel never even thought of a name <laughs> I know. for this character. He's like, "Oh, uh, uh, Homer Simpson." Yeah, like, let me. Yeah, as the classic he pulls up like- a newspaper. He's like, <laughs> "Doubtfire, dear." Like, fireman doubt fire, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Like, Police doubt fire was caused by something or other, yeah. Yeah, like, 
Looney Tune shit. Right. <laughs> but Bubble like, classic. Oh, let me think of a name from two words I can see. Right. So he, he has, and then all of a sudden, like, oh, he has, now Mrs. Doubtfire has to meet Miranda. Mm-hmm. So then we go back to, to, to gay bros. And like we have to have this another Robin Williams scene where he pretends to be a bunch of different characters while mm-hmm. they put on prosthetics and do the whole thing. Some well, of them deeply a little bit of casual '90s racism, mm-hmm. you know, with the with the with like the first character he plays is like a, a Cuban woman or a woman who's dating a Cuban man or not right. dating maybe but having sex with a Cuban man, right? And like, also, they're all misogynistic. Like they are oh, none of these are yeah. real women. Like they're all oh. deeply characters of stereotypes of women and that was one thing i meant to mention is like all the character he's playing for the caretaker role Mm -hmm. for for taking care of children they're all women Mm -hmm. all every single one of the characters he's playing are women there are no male nannies yeah i guess i think it's probably still a thing we probably look at today like it's it's just this weird like sexism thing like men can't take care of children well all men are child molesters i guess right yeah and especially gay ones like it's just really weird I mean, and I'm sure you face this as a father, right? Like, how many times have people told you, oh, are you babysitting? I'm like, I'm not babysitting. Yeah. This is my child. Yeah, no, like, I'm dadding. Yeah, <laughs> I'm being a parent. Fuck yeah. off. Yeah. But it, it falls really well into the societal idea that men are immature at this point and only women can do things that are important, like taking care of children. Yeah. Well, important in quotes. Mm-hmm. I'm air quoting for people who can't see me, which is everyone that's listening to this. <laughs> um. So he goes to to Gay Bros, and we mm-hmm. do the big makeover scene. It's another Robin Williams scene. He gets to play a bunch of different characters, which of course doesn't make sense because he's already established the character in the phone call. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like that's that's really nitpicky, um, and takes away the fun of the scene. So like I'll yeah. allow it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, we end yeah. up with Mrs. Doubtfire. But the weird thing is, it's like this establishes his his brother and his brother's partner as like complete, like entirely complicit, complicit in this entire idea. <laughs> There's no which is clearly, which is clearly like a criminal, awful thing. Mm-hmm. Like this is not a something a healthy human being does. No. And his, his brother's just like, oh, we get to make you a woman. This is great, right? So clearly, Frank has always wanted to do this to his brother, right? Maybe since they were kids or something, and he's like, I just want to turn you into a lady. Mm-hmm. But now he gets his chance. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> just like, oh man. So. Yeah. We, we finally, we, we have Mrs. Doubtfire and we have the big mm-hmm. reveal where he's meeting Miranda. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, Mrs. Doubtfire. It's like this big hero moment. Mm-hmm. We are now firmly in Act 2. The hero is on his journey. Mm-hmm. And um, pr- it does not take long for Daniel to start chastising his family. Mm-hmm. But then he also chastises Miranda. Yep. Further cementing like the dominant male role in the family, even though he's, 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 you know, disguised as a woman. Yeah. He immediately becomes the expert on everything. Yes. He's like, oh, I don't think you should talk bad about the father in front of the children, dear. And she takes Surely it. She takes the chastisement. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. He establishes like weird dominance right away. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's icky. Yeah, and he uses the things that he already knows about his children to win over their trust immediately, yes. right? Like yep. he mentioned Stuart Little to his youngest daughter. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, he was a championship world-winning European soccer player or whatever right. in college. Pl- she played She played European football in, in college. Mm-hmm. And the only one he couldn't connect with in that way immediately was Lydia, the oldest yeah, Lydia, daughter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I just thought that I found that interaction really weird. It was uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I didn't like that immediately he was chastising all of them. Mm -hmm. Like, you all didn't realize how great I was. Mm-hmm. Again, just more narcissistic personality. Yeah, like, like look seeking. what I can do. I'm still Again, me, right? Like he has this idea yeah. that this is still him getting the accolades just secretly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Again, Hollywood writer, like anyone, Hollywood writers, anyone writing any media, they're fucking weirdos. <laughs> well, okay? the weird, the not weird stuff doesn't get made. So the, yeah, the not weird stuff doesn't get made. They don't get successful. Also, like if we're super famous later down the line, don't listen to us either. We're fucking weirdos. It's true. I'm very strange. Like, don't don't fucking listen to me. I'm not, I'm not a fucking barometer for morality. I am. <laughs> yeah, you might be. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> um, so finally, like they talk, Doubtfire and Mrs. Doubtfire and Miranda talk and they, mm-hmm. they establish a rapport <clears throat> and she like does all these things like, oh, you, you know, the children got to eat good meals and they got to do mm-hmm. their homework and blah, blah, blah. All the stuff he should have been doing right? as their goddamn father. Yeah. So we've established that he could have done this all along. Yeah. In this scene, he makes her a cup of tea, and that's the nicest thing he's done for his wife in probably 15 years. The, it's the nicest thing he's done for his movie in the entire goddamn movie. Right. Yeah. Uh. And so, like, the idea that all along he had these skills or this, like, he knew what was right to do, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's what he's doing. He's he's manipulating yeah, someone with something that he knew he should have been doing all along. Yeah, he knew he was supposed to be a good person, but he decided not to be because it wasn't fun. Right. Or he's like, well, this isn't important. I don't want to put this effort into it because it's not about me. I don't know. Which, again, would have been amazing if that was the (laughs) character arc that Robin Williams was supposed to go on. Like, if he was supposed to learn lessons from this, this would have been really fucking good. And, like, I would say that this film is ripe for, like, a, a remake that, like, took a more modern approach to it and mm-hmm. had the, that character arc in that lesson. But I also firmly believe that this movie doesn't work without Robin Williams. Yeah. And his improv and his just, like, the energy that he brings to the screen, this movie just doesn't work without that. In fact, it's yeah. the only thing that this movie works with. Yeah, you can't, um, you cannot accept the, assert, the absurdism of this plot if you yeah. don't have someone equally absurd. So, like, maybe Agreed. Chris Rock could do it. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. I like. I, it's hard for me to think of, like, a good improv actor nowadays, because improv just isn't as popular as it used to be. Mm-hmm. That's not, it's just not the form of humor that we kind of appreciate right now. No, it's not. It's, it's, it really isn't. Um, I'm sure there's great improv artists out there, but oh, none absolutely. of them have made it huge. You know? um, Bo Burnham, he used to do improv? I love Bo Burnham. But anyway. <sighs> Bo Burnham, man, Bo Burnham. Is the voice of the young millennial elder Gen Z, you know? Yeah. He's, like, he's, he's the, you know, he's the guy who went viral and then had the intelligence to analyze it. But that's something else entirely. So we finish this meeting with Mrs. Doubtfire and Miranda, and he is on his way home. <laughs> <laughs> when we are introduced to the bus driver. Why did they put this in this movie? Why? What what purpose it's, did this serve? The joke, of course the joke is like oh the 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 man is hitting on a woman who's actually another man. I feel and like, he doesn't know. I feel like that's but part like, of the joke. Yeah. I don't know if it's meant to be a joke, but I also feel like this is like well, a at this time and always Older women are not represented in media for mm-hmm. the first for the first thing, unless you live in Britain where they actually respect older women. 
Mm-hmm. Um, if an alien civilization invaded us and only figured out our society based on the media that they could find, like our DVDs yeah. or our radio yeah. broadcasts Women or whatever. Women don't exist after 40. Yeah. They would think every woman died the day they turned 40. And yeah. then, but for some reason, the males of our species live three times longer because, you know, yeah. you can be, you can be a 90 year old raisin and still marry a 20 year old. Anyway. Right. Um, and two, if you were a woman, your value is sex and it doesn't matter how old you are. You're never safe from being sexually accosted, which is really disappointing. Yes. Which I feel like was like a huge missed opportunity mm-hmm. with this bus driver character mm-hmm. where, you know, maybe Daniel has to like empathize a little bit with a, <laughs> with a feminine point of view and like he gets hit on mm-hmm. when all he's trying to do is go home. On the bus, and he just had On a really long because, day. Yeah, he's had a really long day. He's, he's been wearing high the... heels for the yes. first time for hours. His feet yes. are aching because this is a large man wearing high heels. Yeah. Where he got high heels in his size, let's not even talk about but it. Can't, but can't even go home without getting mm-hmm. hit on by the bus driver, the person who's who he has to rely on mm-hmm. to get him home. Yeah, and he does look uncomfortable, right? Like it's mm-hmm. clear that this is not a good interaction for him. Yes. But it doesn't doesn't get internalized at all, especially no, because no. of the fucking pool scene, which we yeah. will get to. Yeah. And of course, the movie like doesn't play it this way. Mm-hmm. The movie plays it as like, just, it's just a funny moment. And mm-hmm. the bus driver is just this cute old man. It's like, no, he's not a cute old man. <laughs> he's a creep. <laughs> he's a, yeah. Yeah. She gets onto the bus. He immediately ogles her breasts. Mm-hmm. And then I think he says something like, oh, you're a big girl or something, right? Like, doesn't right. he say something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because it's fucking Robin Williams dressed as an old mm-hmm. lady. Right, yeah. <laughs> and he just makes all these weirdly inappropriate comments and pays way too much attention to her. Yep. And he still sits in the front of the bus. And I maintain it's because his feet still hurt worse than the sexual harassment does at this point. Mm-hmm. And speaking of his feet. <laughs> you know, he gets home and we have, we have the throwaway heels joke, right? Like, we have the, mm-hmm. like, oh, this stuff. if I ever get my hands on the son of a bitch who invented heels, mm-hmm. you know? Um, which, again, it's a, it's a wasted moment. It's a moment for him mm-hmm. to empathize, which, like, that's, it's not, he never at any point empathizes with anyone other than himself. Mm-hmm. And he just, like, it's all about the damage done to him, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that's when he runs into... The, the one of the humorless women who, who rules his life, Mrs. Selman. Because he forgot his fucking appointment. Right. So the social worker shows up. What's her name again? Uh, Mrs. Selner. Oh, Mrs. Selner. She shows up at his apartment. Surprise! Like, oh, you got um, you got you inspection. got an inspection, you know? And and he like he tries to he tries to play it off, but you know, Mrs. Selner is insistent because she's a cons- consummate professional. Daniel's weakness. <laughs> and his kryptonite. That's his kryptonite. <laughs> Paperwork. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she comes up and then we have the classic comedy bit where one person pretends to be two people. Mm-hmm. You know, and I wonder how common that bit was. Because like, obviously, I remember it being all over the place. But I wonder how much yeah. of it has to do with this movie. I don't know. It's really weird. It's, it's played well. It didn't yeah. age great. But comedies in general don't age well. You know? This is fair. Um, like, comedies don't age well. But at the same time, given that, this movie's okay. There's an interesting duality here yeah. of him playing himself and this older woman and trying to, like, basically have a conversation with himself mm-hmm. almost. Right? So, 
he, when he's Mrs. Doubtfire, he comes in and tries to blame the mess on himself, which is apparently yes. his older sister. Right, right, yeah. Nothing's ever Daniel's fault. No, of course not. Oh, yeah. I'm just leaving stuff all over the place while I visit my brother in this small right. apartment for some reason. Right. And, uh, like you, and you have to know, again, if he was just on this fucking journey that he should have been on, mm-hmm. you could have the conversation like, oh, he just moved in. He's trying to get his life fucking together. Right. It's okay for him to be a little human. Yeah. Like, and also, if he could just admit his own humanity, I bet mm-hmm. that would go a lot fucking further with the courts. Right. But... In, in this fictionalized version of the courts, not real courts. <laughs> yeah. So also in this scene, so this is at least a week after the court date. Um, he had enough time to harass his wife by calling mm-hmm. her a million times mm-hmm. and spend at least an entire day, at least getting all of those like costumes mm-hmm, put on mm-hmm. or whatever and doing all he of that. He spent a Saturday with his kids. Mm-hmm. And he spent, well, at least a, maybe, I guess it was a whole Saturday. Um, and he couldn't have cleaned his apartment or done any of the things he was supposed to do mm-hmm. to actually get his kids because he doesn't actually care about that. Yeah. He cares about the ownership aspect of family and not having a family. Does that like, right. like not yeah. being in like a he, family? Yeah. He knows what he needs to do. And this is important to him. At least mm-hmm. that's what he says. Mm-hmm. And like. But he does the opposite yeah. of what he should do, right? Like, he does something that he even knows. I think he even mentions it at some point. Like, if they ever, if you know, I'm going to have to see them behind plate glass if they ever catch me. I can't remember yeah, what yeah, part of the movie later. he mentions yeah. that. Um, it's when it's when his uh, it's when his son and his and Lydia discover mm, his discover secret. him. Okay, well, we'll get there because that's a whole thing. Yeah, I keep forgetting what's. Like, What's nuts is like how unimportant his son is to the movie mm-hmm. that I don't remember it's Chris. the character's name. Chris. Chris. Mm-hmm. And then, I only remember because I was trying to read the birthday cake. Yeah. And I remember Lydia's character because they use her character's name a lot. And then I just think Liddy. of- I, I think of like, was it Natalie? I just think of her as Mary. Yeah, Wilson, it's Natty. <laughs> What's interesting is when Mrs. Doubtfire gets introduced to the kids, she's introduced as Lydia and he immediately starts calling her Liddy. And I was like, that mm-hmm. should have been a huge sign. Like, yeah. Mess that up. Mm-hmm. Like, how dare you, a stranger, call me by the nickname that my dad used for me? Mm-hmm. And the rest of the family, like her little sister calls mm-hmm. her Liddy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very intimate. It's a very intimate way to refer to somebody, you know? Yeah. I don't know if it's just like my own personal trauma or journey or whatever, but I'm very mm-hmm. sensitive to people, um, uh, like assumed, assumed comfort or assumed um what's the word i'm looking for basically oh assumed familiarity that's what i was looking for where like you meet someone this happens a lot with men uh they immediately start calling you pet names or like oh weird oh yeah i mean i guess you haven't had this experience don't ever date no no i mean yeah not something i've ever had to deal with that's an immediate red flag i say that um (laughs) except in like weird corporate environments where like weird middle managers try to establish dominance. Mm-hmm. Corporate culture is fucking weird. Yeah. I'm glad I'm a stay at home dad now. <laughs> it's what would happen if we gave chimps business suits and, I mean, uh, yeah, absolutely. Blackberries. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Man. So it's, it's a, it's an uncomfortable display of force that takes something from you. That's what, mm-hmm. 
that's what this sort of forced familiarity does. You immediately Mm -hmm. put someone off guard or put them in a decision-making state where they either have to decide they're okay with it or decide it's important enough to fight back against, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, honey, or hey, babe. I'm like, I don't know you Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. You cannot Mm -hmm. call me babe. Mm -hmm. I'm not your babe. Mm -hmm. Fuck you. Yeah, but it's hard, right? Because you're fighting all these internal things like, well, I'm a woman. I'm supposed to be demure. If I'm not demure, no one will like me because I only have two choices. I have the demure virgin virgin, and I have the fucking true. So, Mm. yeah, I'm leaning into my crone phase. Personally, I'm speeding Love rapidly it. towards the crone, hey, and it's amazing because it's the it's the strongest yeah. form of womanhood. So yeah, I mean, my favorite um, Terry Pratchett character is uh, Granny Weatherwax, who's like <sighs> the the archetype of the crone. But awesome. Yeah, I mean, witches are awesome. This is true, so. but they're made to be the bad guys, even though it's like no. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I highly like, recommend. Uh, maybe some other time I'll bring up Terry Pratchett books, but I highly recommend any of the witches books by Terry Pratchett. Awesome. Um, fantastic. Um, the, 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 the incredible empathy that Terry Pratchett as a writer has for all of humankind got me through some really hard times. I'm going to have to read them. That sounds amazing. When he passed, it was actually really hard for me. <laughs> That's good. I feel that way about Ursula K. Le Guin. I found yeah. out she died and I was just devastated. Yeah. I have a hard time reading his last book, The Shepherd's Crown, because Ooh. he knew he had, he had Alzheimer's. He knew he was going. Oh, no. So like that, that last book is all about death and all about his death in particular. And like oh. trying to like make his readers like, even in his final book, he was, he was trying to comfort his readers. Oh, I'm actually and, getting like a little teary eyed. Oh, <laughs> like, highly recommend. I have, I have almost all of Discworld. <sighs> You're welcome to read them at yeah. any time. I, um, I have such a strong fondness for Terry Pratchett, despite never having read one of his books which is interesting. Like I've read quotes from him. Oh man. He's such an books. incredible human being. Yeah. And you can just, you feel the empathy coming through the pages mm. and the, uh, the humility I think is a big part mm-hmm. of it too. Like he yeah. doesn't, he doesn't speak from a place of being an expert. He speaks from a place of having been in the mud, you know? Right. So yeah. he's, he's human and he loves humans. Yeah. But anyway, so but anyway, back to Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> forced familiarity. Uh, wow. Yeah, I've actually had a person who was a really, really old friend of mine that I knew from school, like elementary school, school, uh, who I reconnected with at some point. And we were not in any sort of like romantic, <clears throat> excuse me, we were not in any sort of romantic sort of situation. We were just friends who were chatting and he kept calling me. Oh, God, I can't even remember what it was. Was it Sweetie? It was some sort of saccharine. Oh, um, pet name. And I, because he was my friend and not just a rando I was trying to date, I tried to actually have the conversation with him where I said, you know what? I'm actually really uncomfortable with this. Can you please just not call me this? And he said, no. He said, I can call you whatever I want. Oh, so you don't need to talk to him ever. I did not anymore. I was like, you are a horrible person and I will maintain that to this day. And I have not seen him since or talked to him. And but yeah, that's the thing that, that happens. That really sucks. I'm yeah, so sorry. I'm just letting you know that like, because you've never experienced it. It is absolutely a thing. It is a control thing. Yeah, no, thing. I've, I've never experienced it being, you know, cishet white male is kind of the tits. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I do tits empathize. Are, tits are uh, meaning birds in this, in this point. You're a bird. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of birds. Small ones. Sorry. I don't mean to be offensive. <laughs> I don't know um, that it is offensive because, you know, tits okay. are great. I mean, I think everyone should appreciate those. 
Yeah, they are. They that's, are that's beacons from a of very cishet white male's perspective. So that's from a bisexual loves women and doesn't know why she ever dates men perspective. It's great. <laughs> Thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Um, we're editing so we're all about, of this out. Um, <laughs> to get back to Mrs. Doubtfire, we're talking about his his surprise Mrs. Selner classic comedy bit where he tries to be both characters at once, but you only ever mm-hmm. seen one at one time. You know, you've got the famous like he dunks his head in the cake bit. Right, uh, so that he can cover it, because like, his mask yeah. fell out of a window. Yeah. Once again, because he was changing into a woman, and there's these little Asian kids across the alleyway were yeah, laughing at him. I found that weird, too. I found that super weird. But like also, like, very 90s. Yeah. You know? Also, why are your blinds up? Right. Yeah, it's just like, close the window, dude. But mm-hmm, like, it's supposed mm-hmm. to be, it's for a bit. Right? Yeah. Yep. And like, the 90s were not live and let live, as they probably should have. <laughs> Or as they like to pretend to be. Yeah. They were still know? mad that gay people existed. Yeah. Like we had, we had Will and Grace. We had Dharma and Greg. Everything was supposed to be copacetic. We're all supposed Will to be Grace. just chilling out. Will and Grace is but not like, great for the gay agenda. Oh, man. <laughs> so as, as a not gay person, mm-hmm. right, my opinion is different, probably. I assume so. But like the cultural context I have is coming from, from the mainstream. Mm-hmm. With Will and Grace. And like, yes, Will and Grace is problematic now. But I think at the time, it did a lot of good. Mm. It, it mainstreamed homosexuality that. in a way that made it acceptable to the like heteronormative 90s culture. Right. But it did that the same way that media does for anything, where it assigns you a very specific role. Oh, yeah. Very specific personality. Oh, it's problematic. It's definitely problematic. Like, you can be a Muslim on TV, but you have to own a gas station. Yeah. That's it. Like, you can only do that, right? And maybe maybe that's another podcast or another another episode we have where we talk about the role of, um, you know, that kind of like, well, you, you start out filling the role and you make people comfortable with it. And maybe there's like, is there a pathway? Yeah. To making people more empathetic. And then you start subverting their expectations and yeah. making people into humans. Yeah. yeah. Like you have, to trick, that, pe- or, you have to trick people into yeah. being good. <laughs> right. Or is it always bad to, mm. to, to be like that? Right. Like, like that might be historically, we may look at it like, oh, of course, Will and Grace was this way and it helped people look at it this other way. Yeah. Let's do it. Maybe it held that. us that back. That sounds awesome. Maybe that was not helpful. Right. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah, anyway, we go from we go from um, Mrs. Selner's visit to uh, Daniel's first day on his day job. Well, I actually want to say one thing. Oh, go on. About Mrs. Selner. So go off, girl. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) No, I'm doing it. I'm going. Um, Oh, no. So we see Miss like one of the bits or whatever is that he has to change back into his sister, quote unquote, Mrs. Doubtfire Mm -hmm. to make tea for Mrs. Selner. And then he does the cake face gag. So Miss Selner's sitting very politely at a table. Um, He serves her tea as Mrs. Doubtfire with all this icing on his face and it starts dripping into her tea. And he like explains that it's a face mask that he made, right? And then right. he leaves the room to go get himself. Um, mm-hmm. And Miss Selner, for the first time, we actually see her be a person. And she, like, takes a little bit of the the stuff and she rubs a little bit onto her face. And that's the most characterizing thing we have. Like, she is a woman who um, 
I don't know, like it's kind of an adventurous act. Like this just dripped mm. off of someone's face. Yeah. yeah. So A, it's, it's, it's kind of gross. Definitely, it's definitely played as weird and as yeah. comedic. Yeah, it's weird. But like, she's also like, you know what? I care. I care about my looks. Like we're not made to think that she is a woman woman. Right. Right. She's she's firmly an old woman. No one's supposed to look at. But she cares. Right. Like she's like, oh, maybe I'll put a little on my face and see if it works. This would be cool. Um, Yeah. Well, I also wonder if you look at that. I'm sorry. And you look at that and you go like, oh, well, maybe this film is saying that uh, even an older woman's place is to care about her appearance. Yeah. There's only... That's true. A woman should always care about their appearance. And like, <laughs> right? that's, like that's a little, that's a little weird. That's a little icky. It is a little weird. Yeah. Um, this is true. I can't remember where I was going with that. But yeah, I'm sorry. I thought that was an, in- no, it's you're fine. I thought that was an interesting, an interesting part of the, the scene. So. Yeah. So, all right. Yeah. So then we go on to Daniel's first day on his, his, his regular, his day job. Mm-hmm. He gets a job moving film reels or shipping film reels or something. Yeah, right? but we find out his job is it's a boring um, job at a studio, but at least it's like related to his previous industry, which like, yeah, I don't expect everyone to know how kind of the entertainment industry works. But like if, if he's an established voice actor, like you've got that tight knit network. Mm-hmm. He probably, you know... I don't know. That's probably not important to the whole film. I think it is because the fact that he has alienated every single one of his contacts and cannot get any voice acting work Mm. says something about his character. He's difficult to work with and a narcissist, right? Yeah. And he just, he ends up having to work at like a a kind of an entry level warehousing type job at a TV television studio. He's doing manual labor. He's embarrassed Mm. about it. Right. Mm -hmm. He's doing this because he has to, yeah, it's him brought right. low, mm-hmm. right? Manual labor is beneath him. It's not even that hard of manual labor. He's just no, moving it's film reels around. Yeah, it's moving film reels. You put, you're putting shit in, what is it? You you pack the, the, the reels and then you ship them. You pack the mm-hmm. boxes and ship them. That's the mm-hmm. joke. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he, because you're right. Like the, the people who, at least from my outside perspective, you learn about a voice actor and then you learn that they're in everything. Like clearly they all go to the same Christmas party every year. Everyone knows each other. Yeah. So. Well, what's nuts is actually, you know, um, where I live right now is actually a huge hub for voice acting work. That's um, cool. And it's crazy. Like even like I, I didn't work in animation or voice acting. But just working in in the media industry, the amount of connections I have in that world is like just kind of like sometimes I have to like think about it. I'm like, oh, wow, that's cool. Like, I know the guy who voiced this big character in, um, you know, such and such big anime, you know, and like, that's cool. Mm-hmm. That is right? cool. You know, um, but like the it's a small world mm-hmm. working in entertainment. It doesn't take long for everyone to know everybody. Yeah, and if you're um, a dickhead, everyone's yeah, going to that, that gets out. Yeah. That absolutely gets out without getting too like uh, descriptive about it. <laughs> Don't want to dox myself. Um, Who are you? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, first day on the job, bog standard, kind of like, oh, the job kind of sucks. It's mm-hmm. menial. It's you know tedious. It's the stuff that, you know, his boss is a humorless man for once. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised to find out that this character was originally cast as a woman. <laughs> that would yeah. not surprise me. 
you know, he has his first day on the job. It sucks. And then he gets into his Miss Doubtfire thing and he mm -hmm. starts his, you know, picks up the children. They come home, right? Because they get dropped off by the bus or something. Like, it looks like they're dropped mm -hmm. off by a bus. There's a school bus yeah. in that scene. It's interesting because he doesn't have a car. No. Right? Yeah. He's always riding yeah, the bus. buses everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, like, it's not like they couldn't afford to get him a car. Right. Why didn't he have a car? Because he had no job. <laughs> right. But, like, why didn't he have a car from the marriage? <clears throat> oh, from the marriage? Yeah, because she has a mm -hmm. car. And he has to go yeah. to voice acting jobs, right? I just thought it was interesting. Probably just oh. so that they could have the bus driver lech at him. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> and to, like, illustrate how low he's fallen. He has to take, mm. you know. Maybe he um, sold his car to afford the apartment. Maybe. That'd be interesting. Maybe. Also, like... We live we live in a place with bad public transit, so I'm like maybe it wasn't really a big <laughs> oh, deal true. for him we're not, living in San we're Francisco, <laughs> like where you've got you know streetcars and buses and all the all the nine. Um, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, so that that could just be a cultural thing. Yeah, so he <laughs> is at the house now. He's fully as Miss Doubtfire, right? And the kids mm -hmm. come home. At some point, he walks in, and they're watching Dick Van Dyke together. Yes. His children, right? And yes. this is a thing that they clearly do every day. They're all settled in. They're decompressing after school and they're watching Dick Van Dyke together. And he comes in and he says, you need to go do your homework. Yep. And Discipline. Banhammer comes down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you know. the Dick Van Dyke show is what, 30 minutes? It's not a long show. Like yeah. watching one episode of the Dick Van Dyke show um, it's not going to ruin their education, right? But it's important mm -hmm. for him to establish that he has control over them at this point. Yes. And so even though, I mean, Lydia does have an attitude when she says, no, we'll watch it, right? She's clearly feeling weird and displaced. No. And also she's fucking, what, 14 at least? 16? I don't know. Right, she could have yeah. been left alone with the kids. Like, I don't know why she even needs a nanny, except for to clean and maybe to cook, right? Like Right, which, which is established. Right. And and then Doubtfire has to bring, like, establish the rules of... The house. Of this new house. Mm -hmm. Finally, Daniel has to act as, as, as a parent for once mm -hmm. in his goddamn life. And it's interesting, uh, like, why did he feel like he had to do that now? Because he could just as right. easily have been a fun nanny. Yeah, right? easily, easily. But instead, like, finally, he decides to, to be... A parent, he makes them clean the house when they disobey. Mm -hmm. You know what you know, I think he, is really he brings interesting? brings down the punishment. Mm -hmm. mm. I think it's interesting because here's what I think that he was going for and it backfired. I think he was trying to emulate his wife so that his kids would not like Mrs. Doubtfire. Ooh, that's an right? interesting thought. Yeah, so he was the like, film definitely this is, does not explore that, but that it is doesn't, interesting. But doesn't that fit, right? Yes. He's immediately like, no, go do your homework. And he, he treats it like it's not the right thing to do. It's just the thing he has to do to get away with this ruse. Yeah. But it's 100% the right thing to do, right? And it backfires mm -hmm. on him because he starts to... You know, insist that the kids do their homework. Well, the first scene is horrible because he forces them all to do manual labor, like after they rebel against him or whatever. A, he throws the TV remote control into the fish tank. And right. for listeners who do not know me, I am obsessed with fancy goldfish. That is one of my things, one of my many things. 
one of the few things I don't share with Matt that we are mutually obsessed with. And A, that fish tank is way too small for all those goldfish. And I will point that out in every media that we watch because it's almost always true. (laughs) And B, do not throw fucking electronics in a goldfish tank. What? Okay. So he does this. Yep. This is to establish dominance. Mm -hmm. In an aggressive Uh, way. Like he's supposed to be a little old British nanny and he jerks the remote out of her hand and throws it in a fish tank, which is not really mm-hmm. what a woman would do generally, right? In terms of, uh, like, it just feels like a much more assertive and aggressive, almost violent action than yeah. you would expect. So. so finally, the kids have to be punished and they have to put up with, you know, a parental figure actually there. Mm-hmm. And... um but you know, he doesn't punish th- them in a nice way. He's sitting on no. the couch and no. drinking iced yeah, tea. Yeah, he's chilling and and not not cleaning and not being <laughs> not, yeah. not learning the lessons that Daniel needs to learn. Right. They're um, like scrubbing the walls and vacuuming yeah. and even the little sweet natty who's 5 years old is like sweeping or something like She's like polishing a candle lava. Oh I yeah, think. she's polishing yeah. the silver. Yeah. So finally, you know, finally like, okay, go go study. Mm-hmm. Right, so that we can go to the next bit. Which is the fucking? I mean, it's a funny bit. It's a funny it bit. It's it's Daniel learning that he needs to figure out how to cook because he's um, really bad at it. He's terrible at it, and it's like this, like um, you know, it's this whole bit. You know, stuff catches on fire. It's a funny bit. What's interesting is he didn't consider the fact that cooking might be a skill. Yes, like he just assumed. Oh, I can do this. This is just a thing women do, maybe? Mm-hmm. Like, how hard could it be? Like, he has this big cookbook out. Clearly, this man has never cooked in his life. There's, like, yeah. sauces simmering and exploding. Everywhere, and, things are yeah. overboiling. Very, like, I guess, very, like, cliche, stereotypical, yeah. like, like, oh, no, the kitchen's falling apart. What used to be salmon is, like, crusted to the bottom of a pan, and he, like, dumps a whole bunch of basil on it. Um, <laughs> What's crazy then is, it, like, the amount of work... <laughs> that Daniel is putting into this, mm-hmm. like so, this he's pouring so much energy into. Like he's got the cookbook open, he's watching a video, whatever. He's like putting so much energy into the cooking and into like disciplining the kids and all this stuff. It's like this was this was energy he was not putting into his marriage, right? This is all energy he's just like pouring into this ruse, this yeah. scheme, and he's not even doing it now, right? Yeah. Like. He's become he's like, the partner she needed. Right. In the he's, worst possible way. Yeah. He's putting all his energy into a scam or into a con instead of like getting his act together like the court requires. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, like we do the whole like steamed hams Simpsons bit where he orders takeout instead because mm-hmm. he ruins the dinner, mm-hmm. which is just like. Yeah. It's sort of uh, like you think you're cheating on a test by studying for it. Like, that's what mm-hmm. he's doing, right? Yes, Like, absolutely. I will not actually study for a test. Yeah. But I will, I will, pour I will all think this that energy. I've, yeah, I will think that I've stolen the actual test, but it's a study guide. And then I do all this yeah. work to rem- memorize it. And then, oh yeah. my God, I accidentally was a human parent, right? Right. Yeah. And so, like, dinner's finally on the table. Miranda comes home. I have a weird, um, hold on, I have a weird thing. So I watched this movie a ton as a kid, and there's this one scene where he's like spooning sauce out of a little, like, oh, yeah, that was a little weird. 
Yeah. Well, no. So for whatever reason, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with the noise that that one little part made. I used to sure. watch that one little part over and over again because it was just really satisfying to listen to because it's like making mm-hmm. like weird little like spoony noises. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I still remember it. I'm like, ah, yes, that's saucy. I was actually looking forward to getting to watch it again when you picked this oh, yeah. movie. It's <laughs> like, oh, I, I mean, can that see goes into another thing that I wanted to talk about later is just like the sound design and mm-hmm. like music of this film is perfect. Oh, yeah. Like, just really well done. Like, congratulations, sound designers on this film. Like, you guys nailed it. Strong <laughs> work. The heroes um, of this film, in fact. Yeah. So, like, dinner served. And for the first time, Daniel is finally judged on his value as a parent. Mm. Right? Like, mm-hmm. dinner's delicious. The house is clean. Mm-hmm. Daniel's finally done a good job. As Mrs. Doubtfire, mm-hmm. but, you know, f- for the first time in his life, he is, like, even his kids are judging him on his value as a parent and not on his, like, funny, goofy, comedic yeah. personality. Not his value and as a I- clown. Yeah. I think that was important. I was like, hey, that real I really wish that was emphasized a little bit more that he well, learned also- some lesson. But again, that's not the character this the journey this character's on, even though it should have been. I will also say that that may not be fair yet because all of that was faked. The kids did the cleaning and he ordered takeout. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so- he, yeah, he wouldn't have learned from that, but he got a taste of like what it would have been like. Right. And then, right. like, Miranda walks in, and the kids are upstairs doing their homework, and everything is clean and quiet. And you can tell that this is not normal for her, right? Yes. She's been working yeah. all day. She doesn't really know what she's going to come home to, because this is the first night that she hasn't, I guess, had Daniel there fucking stuff up. And mm-hmm. the table is set like a gourmet dinner. Like, there's yeah, candlelight yeah, yeah. and, like... Food that doesn't look like kids would eat it, you know? I mean, it cost him like 130 bucks or whatever. Yeah. Which in 1993 dollars was like, "Mm." Yeah, like he gets paid $300 a week and he spent almost half of it on the first dinner. Yeah. So that scene happens. You know, we're supposed to be like, oh, if only he had put this much effort into (laughs) his marriage when he was, you know, not pretending to be a British nanny. I think what we're supposed to take away from this is she's wrong. I, th- right. I think that that's what we're supposed to take away. Look at him. He could have done stuff. You should have waited. You should have given right. him more chances or right. helped him. Some Like, you should be responsible for the fact that he didn't grow in this direction is kind of like an undertone I get. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's gross. It's real gross. So then he, he heads home. And we have another bus driver scene. Mm, where uh, turns out women aren't allowed to have hairy legs. Nope. But... And I say that is like, actually, he thinks, like, the bus driver thinks it's fine. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to think that's really understanding and empathetic of him. But also, like, underlying is this implication that women aren't supposed to have hairy legs. And no, it's supposed to be a exception. freaky thing, yeah. right? Yeah, like, you're not supposed to be, uh, an older woman especially, is not supposed to be human. Yeah. So, like, his, his fake stockings or whatever come down. I like that yeah. he does all of this work to pretend to be a woman, but he won't shave his legs, A. B. Right. <laughs> um... His stocking comes down and he has like a very clearly I'm Robin Williams and I am part bear sort of uh, hairy knee exposed. And the bus driver sees it and he immediately covers it up with his skirt. 
And the bus mm-hmm. driver says, oh, I kind of like a little hair on my women, like Mediterranean style. So, like, there's some racism going on here. <laughs> Just a and little. Also, Just a little. <laughs> yeah. And some overt <laughs> sexual objectification, right? Like, mm-hmm. obviously, the only reason that hair would be okay is because a man liked it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, God forbid you just have hair because you're a mammal. Right. And Another missed opportunity for Daniel to empathize with women. Right? Completely like, this missed. creep is just always bothering me. Yeah. Can't even uh, go home at the end of a long day of work, working two jobs. <laughs> yep. Living two lives. Nope. <laughs> yeah. It was a gross scene. It was really it gross. Was, yeah. Yeah. It, it, but it's played as like charming and cute. Mm-hmm. And then actually, after this, I don't think we see the bus driver again. I think that's nope, the last this is time. The last we see time. Him. And I just like, I still think about that bus driver. Yeah. Like, it's real creepy. It, in the universe of this film, where he's supposed to be the sweet guy. Yeah. Like, he even says something and about And then all like, of a sudden, he starts seeing this woman that he used to hit on on the bus, and she's on TV. Like, oh, I didn't even think about going, that. Then he finds, and then he finds out that it's played by a man. <laughs> That's amazing. I had not even <laughs> considered like, that. Wow. wow. I still think about that bus driver. <laughs> but, uh. What, I bet the bus driver had more character growth than Robin Williams did in this movie. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> he, he discovered something about himself yeah. throughout the course of this film. Yeah. Oh, he needs gosh. love, first off, because he's hitting on women on the bus. Mm-hmm. You have to, like, join a book club or start online dating. Whatever. Anyway. Yeah. So, after the bus driver and the hairy legs, <laughs> we get to the montage to Dude Looks Like a Lady. Oh, my God. I did not Where? realize that those were the words to that song. <laughs> I, th- I thought it was you look like a lady for my whole life mm-hmm. you 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 look like a lady which is not that bad mm-hmm. right like yeah. being a lady at this point in time was a good thing right like a lady sure. specifically not a girl or a slut or whatever a lady right but no no dude <laughs> looks like a lady but yeah. you know it's a fun song yeah. Is it? I'm gonna look up the lyrics. Um, you no, I don't. Talking. I don't care about the lyrics. I'm just talking about purely on the uh, on the auditory level. Yeah, like it's it's, it's a, a an song. upbeat song. Yep. Oh, it's and by we Aerosmith? have the quick montage where I'm learning so many things. <laughs> we have a quick montage where Daniel's connecting with his kids for probably the first time ever. Um, you know, he's cleaning the house and doing household chores again, probably for the first time ever. He's he's watching Julia Child cooking videos. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think is a fun callback. I think there's a reference to Julia Child early in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, when he's doing all, a bunch of voices. He's just, like you dancing know? with a broom. He's yeah, the like... broom guitar, famous, famous shot yeah. from this movie. And it's like, all of the stuff that he should have been doing as a husband and as a father, mm-hmm. he can only do as a con. <laughs> Yeah. Like, and that's like, the only way he could see himself doing this work, is this woman's work, is he has to put on the persona of a woman. Also consider the fact that he's in and out of work constantly, and mm. his career is shit. She mm-hmm. can afford, on her own salary, both this house and to pay someone $300 a week to be her spouse. Yeah. He could have just taken care of his kids and the house. But no, his ego was too important. He had to be... An actor. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I also, I know you said you don't care about the lyrics, but I have to share this and oh, I'm no. so sorry. Oh, yeah. No. So, oh no. Yeah. It starts off, you know, dude looks like a lady cruised into a bar on the shore. And this part's actually in the movie. Her picture graced the grime on the door. She's a long lost love at first bite. Baby, maybe you're wrong, but you know, it's all right. That's right. And then later he's like, backstage, we're having the time of our lives until someone says, Forgive me if I seem out of line. Then she whipped out a gun and tried to blow me away. Because she's a trans woman. Oh. Right? Like, that's why dude looks like a lady. This entire song is about a trans woman. Oh. And like, oh, I know it's so wrong, but, oh, you seem so right. And then later it's like, never judge a book by its cover or who you're going to love by your lover. Uh, love put me wise to her love in disguise. She had the body of a Venus. Is that like a Venus de Milo sort of thing? Or like, yeah. And then later it's like, let me pick a, take a peek, dear. Turn the other cheek. <laughs> uh, at some point he says he was a lady. Yeah. It's all about trans woman. Right. That the singer insists on calling a dude. Mm-hmm. Dude looks like a lady. And it's like, oh, no, man. if you're a trans woman, no. you are a lady. Like yeah. you do not look like a lady. You are yeah, a real fucking quick, lady. For, for, for anybody listening, uh, tra- trans women are women. Yeah, trans rights matter. Intersectional yep. feminism is the only kind, and um, you cannot gatekeep gender. Yep. So, woman fuck rights off. are human rights. Yep. Uh, um, are we missing anything? Montage, I'm sure we're missing Queen a lot. House, Julie Child, yeah. Boom guitar. All two dude looks like a lady. Yep. Which throwaway? There's a throwaway joke with a purse snatching. Oh that yeah, goes that goes wrong was weird. because like, like. I don't know. It feel, felt really victim blaming. Like, oh, your person only gets snatched because you're not man enough to stop a person. Yeah, that's exactly what I took away too, right? Like, like oh, if you weird. had actually been an old lady, your purse would be gone. But instead, right. you're a guy. And he just yeah. didn't know. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is yeah. weird. Women are weak, men are superior. That's the, Yes, obviously. Yeah. And then finally, Daniel meets... Uh, Stuart for the first time mm. because uh, Miranda comes home early with Stuart mm-hmm. um, to meet the kids mm-hmm. and that like immediately pissing match. Oh yes. <laughs> and it, it's, it's so quickly Daniel tries to control Miranda's sex and relationship with this man. Yes. Um, the Miranda has no agency over her own sexual needs. Daniel must control it. Yeah. Oh my God. So this starts one of the most toxic, horrible parts of the movie, right? So like when when he walks in, um, Stuart is actively engaging with the children. It's not like he is there, you know, just meeting the kids so he can bang their mom, right? Right. He's like hanging, he's like talking to little Natty and everyone's like smiling and like, it looks like a nice scene. And then mm-hmm. Mrs. Doubtfire comes in. Um, One of the reasons that I wanted to point out how isolated Miranda is, is because she immediately starts turning to this complete stranger for advice, right? Mm, yeah. She starts seeking out Mrs. Doubtfire and asking her questions and... You know, she asks, is this the point? Yeah, I think this is the point where she asks something about when was the last time you started having feelings for someone after your husband died, right? Because right, our fake Mrs. Right. Doubtfire. And, yeah. and then Mrs. Doubtfire is like, oh, never. 
Never. And Never. she even says something about like, if you, if you decide to try to have sex with anyone else, you know, good luck with your conscience or something. I can't even remember right. the exact words, yeah. but it, it was and even And according damning. to Mrs. Doubtfire, Mr. Doubtfire was not all that much in the bedroom either. Yeah. So like a woman's responsibility is to her man, regardless <laughs> of just anything else. Grin and bear it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what weird. did you, Oh my God. This part was horrible too. It was like, Oh, Winston's idea of foreplay was yes, brace yourself. Was brace yourself, Ellie? And I'm like, oh my god. Is he trying to make himself look better in real life by comparison, right? Because he's basically saying, like, look, this is the perfect marriage, because that's kind of what he's trying to portray when he's Mrs. Doubtfire, right? Mm-hmm. He's an expert on marriage and relationships. He's had this yeah. very long marriage with this fake dude. And even though this fake dude was horrible in bed, um, you know, still stay with him. But yeah, that that ex-husband of yours, I bet he wasn't that bad. Right. Like, he specifically says that he's probably a Casanova compared to my Winston. (laughs) Right. And again, like, again, this would all work just fine if this was the journey that Daniel's (laughs) character was on, where he like where they they had an arc and they learned. But this is just Daniel being selfish and they never learn Mm -hmm. from they never there's no lesson to be learned here. Yeah, this is also the first I mean, one of the things that we haven't really dived into a lot yet is how fucking creepy and illegal this is. Oh, yeah. No, this is way, yeah, way crazy. We're not supposed to think that, but like he is invading her space and mm-hmm. pretending to be someone else. And now Against she's... Against her will? Yeah. And now she's sharing... Like, she, he, oh. <laughs> oh. Now yeah. No, she's it's sharing, Yeah. She's sharing these personal things. She's asking him for advice. Mm-hmm. About her relationship with him. Yes. And th- none of this is okay. He's lying no. to his children. He's lying to mm-hmm. his wife. Mm-hmm. He's invading their And all their he's space. doing is trying to control all of the relationships. Yeah, he's trying to exert control over his entire family now that Mm -hmm. he's lost it because of his own behavior. Like, this sort of behavior would be unacceptable from someone you did love. Like, if I came to your house and pretended to be someone else for weeks, somehow very convincingly. Yeah, we would not be having this podcast. It was me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it, uh, it would be horrible. And it would be a betrayal of trust and integrity and... We're just supposed to take it because it's funny. So. Yeah. Yeah. But this is like the first time that they have some inappropriate conversation about sex. And he starts to exert this this control that he's gotten from his relationship that he's established with her. Yeah. Because the most important thing about Miranda is uh, her sex. Mm-hmm. And then it's after the scene, we kind of go back to the. Oh, oh, I had a flashback. Sorry, to an earlier part. Do you remember in the um, scene where she comes in and she gets the kids an hour early and he forces her to show him the ad and she says something like, do you want to see anything else? And he said, if you're offering and she said, not anymore. Yeah. That whole thing yeah, was just really oof. fucked up. I forgot yeah, that was, about that, that until was, this that point. Was pretty icky. Yeah. Yeah. That was gross. Like I Especially because like, the I, kids could yeah. hear him. Right. Yeah. 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 And then he even said something like, well, it's just the same as always, right? So he's already right. like, oh, this, well, you never gave me sex. true of a woman who... Yeah, can't. Uh, mm-hmm. But she's she's gorgeous and smart and funny. Like, she's... Mm-hmm. And accomplished and professional and competent and... 
a good mom. Like mm-hmm. she loves her kids and she cares about them, right? She's keeping up with their grades and she's doing her best. Yes. So anyway, so now he's anyway. trying to manipulate her into not being with Stuart. Right. And then um, we kind of move on from that to back to regular day to day. Oh, no. You know, yeah. <laughs> I know it's Mrs. coming. Mrs. Doubtfire is just doing doing the thing. Like, everyone's getting along. Yep. Things are going great. This is Reading the midpoint the of the movie. So here's where we have our, um, I think, false defeat is what it would be considered. Um, mm. He's having a great time with Liddy practicing for a, spe- spelling, a spelling test, bee, which apparently is something 14-year-old girls do. Yeah. And he goes to the bathroom. It's funny because they spell out the word discriminate right before the right. scene. Right. Which I find hilarious. Yeah. Because it goes to pee. And of course, he pees standing up because mm-hmm. he is able to. Because if anybody, I, th- I feel like anybody who can will because it's convenient and nice. I don't um, know. I know trans women who have not had bottom surgery who prefer to pee sitting down mm. because it feels more, uh, it feels less dysphoric from a gender perspective. I could see that. I could absolutely see that. Yeah. Anyway, just a. Fun commentary. Yeah. Um, so if he's standing up, and then, of course, that's when Chris, because um, apparently he didn't lock the door. Yeah. To go, he walks like, into a shut bathroom, so there's a lot of different problems with this scene. Yeah. But um, Chris walks in and sees uh, Mrs. Doubtfire peeing standing up. Mm-hmm. And this causes fucking <laughs> capital P problems yeah. for Chris. Who is having an aneurysm? Who cannot handle it? Runs to Lydia. He's a she. She's a he. He's a she. He. He's, He's got he, both. She. She's got both parts. He's half woman, half man. Yeah, which of course is like horrible. Which half, right? Like right. Um. Yeah. The way that they treat this, mm-hmm. I I cannot fucking even. <laughs> um oh my god so like, i'll try chris to like, wants to call the cops yes and because they grab because weapons. someone's gender is different than they thought yeah they grab That's weapons also all it takes to get lydia to like grab a tennis racket is for what he said right mm-hmm. he's he just says oh she's not all a woman and they're ready to like beat the shit out of her and I'm like, mm-hmm. what? This woman who you have clearly already bonded with and feel comfortable with, your first instinct is, oh, God, you find this horrible thing out about her. Yeah. And, Let's beat her with a tennis racket. Right. And then call the cops because she's peeing. Mm-hmm. Um, what the fucking fuck? Like, yeah. no. Did not, <laughs> that, that joke did not age. No. Um, uh, I does not play so, well. It's 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 a perfect example of straight panic. It's even like the straight panic oh, yeah. defense, yes. right? Like let's yes, yes, let's yes. get weapons. Think of the children. <laughs> she tricked me into having yep. sex with her, so I beat her to death with a tire iron. Yeah, right. Because the idea of having sex with a woman who has a penis is the worst possible thing. I've actually done this, and it's actually the best possible thing. I just want you to know. But <laughs> for anyone who's listening, this is this movie is horrible. Like at this, mm-hmm. this is terrible. Mm. Well, I mean, at least <laughs> I was just waiting for Chris to vomit. Yeah. Well, then it gets right? worse. Like, so even after he finds out it's his dad in oh, makeup, yeah, yeah, yeah. he won't touch him. Yes. He's still so uncomfortable with it. Because that's so... why I was like, yeah. yeah. Like, even there's a line where it's like, you don't like that, do you? <laughs> because that would be the worst. 
Right. If, as if that was an enjoyable state for yeah. Daniel to be in. Also, like, let's consider the fact that their biggest problem with this is that he's decided to dress up as a woman and not that he's decided mm-hmm. to trick his entire family for weeks right, by pretending yeah, to be someone problem. else. Like, yeah. we'll just glance right over that. It's fine. Betrayal mm-hmm. of trust? Nah. Uh, but no, is, I won't. And this is where we... Um... Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I won't even touch your hand. Like, at the end, he's like, right. no, don't worry. It'll be okay. And then he's like, don't worry. I understand. It's just guy stuff. No, it's not. It's fucking transphobic yeah. as hell, and it's yeah. horrible. That's some toxic masculinity, right there. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, in this, and it's in this in this interaction where we where the line is, "Who did this to you?" is Uncle Frank and Aunt Jack. Mm-hmm. And that's where that's where why I think like it was like it's played as a joke. Mm-hmm. It's not given the context of the scene. It was not empathetic. It's not an empathetic way to view. Jack that, and the actual healthy Frank's couple in this movie. Yeah, the, the only healthy couple in this entire movie. Um, and then, like a like a like a true sociopath, the first thing that Daniel does is make his kids keep the secret from mm-hmm. their mother mm-hmm. and their sister. Like, don't tell mom, or I'll go to jail, and you'll never see me again. Yeah. Like that's manipulative. That's awful. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be played as, it's played as like this sweet moment. It's like, oh, now they've got something all together. Yeah, I'm glad that I've got this this time with you and now you know so we can actually be a family kind of. But no, <laughs> he's just making mm-hmm. them complicit in his fraud. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's such a messed up. <laughs> it's terrible. And, and it's played as like sweet. Mm-hmm. Yep, like, they just love him so much that, uh, yeah. It's interesting because he, even though they know, he still acts like Mrs. Doubtfire in the remaining scenes, right? Like, he still cleans and cooks and is basically a better dad than he has been ever, so. Mm -hmm. Um, so we finish this scene with, um, where he's, he's making his children form a pact against their mother, mm-hmm. um, which should absolutely disqualify him from any sort of parental rights whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like this alone, this moment alone, let alone all the crazy shit that's been going on the whole goddamn movie. Yeah. Like, it's also the extreme version of a, oh, don't tell your mom. Cause he's already done that about like the party. Right. Yeah. But this idea that marriage and parenting is a contentious uh, relationship, mm-hmm. right? Like it's always the mom versus the dad. Yes. Right? It's, it's always, not, don't tell your yeah. mother, because she's the prison warden, and I'm your fellow prisoner. Right. I'm fun. hmm And she's not. hmm So, um, we go from here to, like, a really quick scene where Daniel's at his day job, shipping things. We kind of foreshadow the ending a little bit. Mm. Where Is this where he does the- the boring kids show. Oh, yeah. He talks to the boss about the boring kids show. Mm-hmm. Someone he doesn't know as the boss who ends up being like the owner of the company. And he's like, oh, this is the most boring dinosaur show or dinosaur show yeah. ever. Yeah. And then we go from there to another scene where um, Daniel or Mrs. Doubtfire is doing all the things that Daniel should have done. Mm-hmm. If he was putting his energy into his own relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire brings her flowers, brings Miranda yeah. flowers. And there's even a line. Where Miranda says, who needs a husband when I've got you? I've got you, yeah. Which I felt like was very telling. Mm-hmm. 
again, this is one of those things where this movie is so close. Mm-hmm. If it if it would just like, and I think one of the screenwriters was a woman, so maybe that's where all of the good stuff is coming the almost, from. Yeah, the almost stuff came from right. Like if if just if if Daniel would just go on this journey and mm-hmm. learn these lessons. Mm-hmm. And this is where uh, Daniel has his first honest conversation with Miranda about the nature of their relationship. Mm. I mean, I, Daniel as Mrs. Doubtfire, but he has to confront yeah. his failings as Daniel. And it's so weird because mm-hmm. all of these conversations should have been had between them, right? There's mm-hmm. so many, even the very, very, very last scene was a conversation that should have happened between him and his kids or him and his wife. Yes. When he's, we'll get there, but like when he is actually having the TV show, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that part, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's sitting down and he's talking to uh, Miranda about their marriage. Their marriage, his failings as 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 a husband. Mm-hmm. She used to come home and cry herself to sleep without him knowing. Mm-hmm. And like, who doesn't notice their spouse crying themselves to sleep like yeah it's a little weird (laughs) that's a little weird yeah especially because it sounds like it happened pretty often but she talks Mm -hmm. about the fact that you know this whole movie up to this point has been oh he can't live without his kids but that's exactly what she's been doing for 15 years yeah right she has to take care of everything so they don't have a relationship with her she never gets to see them you know, and even when she does, she's the bad guy. And so he's he's done to her what he refuses to let happen to him. Mm-hmm. So after the conversation with Miranda, where he has to confront some hard truths about the nature of, of his relationship with her, mm-hmm. um, Jane, uh, I keep calling him James, James Bond, Stuart invites <laughs> um, the whole family, including Mrs. Doubtfire, to the country club for like visit the pool and the pool's like this cool posh thing yeah and the whole time even daniel's going like oh i shouldn't be here this is and this quote this is, bad. This is quote beyond obsession mm-hmm. it's like the first moment of like yeah you're you, you done fucked up kid yeah what's weird is even after the conversation with miranda he doesn't change his behavior at all he doesn't Mm-mm. think no, oh no, my he's, god he's still going <laughs> yeah he's still like what is his end game right is he trying to get her back no like no. what is he gonna do is he Trying to convince her that she's sorry, my cat is scratching her ears. Terragon, can you go away, please? No. He's he's trying to control Miranda's home. And life. Yeah. It's it's messed up. Yeah. Um you know, and so uh so Daniel avoids like getting into a bathing suit because obviously mm-hmm. the prosthetics don't go that far. Um and Daniel sits at the bar drinking um just just drinking and and just dealing with like it's like oh this this man is moving in on my woman yeah moving right? in on it's my family very possessive i'm uh, moving in on the whole family mm-hmm. um and then uh stewart comes to the bar to get well, some like, drinks for oh yeah oh and like his family looks really happy oh there's wife happy. is like miranda yeah, is fun. laughing they're playing in the pool. The kids are happy and bonding together. They're spending time with their mom, mm-hmm. you know? And Stuart's having really fun with sweet. their mom. Yeah. Yeah. He invited the whole, like, he is a man trying to yeah. court a woman and he is bringing in her whole family and accepting. Whole family, including the housekeeper. All of it. 
Yeah. yeah. Like, including the weird housekeeper who has said very strange things right. to him by now. I can't yeah. remember clearly, what she who said has to clearly him. been mean to him the whole time, like antagonistic yeah. and like super. Oh, the first time, one of the times he comes, he steals a piece off the car and then he says something about compensating oh, yeah, was, yeah. for us. He literally yeah. says small genitals like yeah. in the movie. And I'm like, oh my God, this is on Disney plus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so Stuart comes up to, to get a drink mm-hmm. or get a bunch of drinks for the, for the whole family, like mm-hmm. not just alcoholic, like just, just drinks. Um, and like one of the other guys there who I guess is regular at the club, they have a conversation like, oh, you know, I'm not, you know, Stuart has never really been one for kids. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. he, he used to be a bit of a playboy. Not really, but, but this family is so special to him. Right. And he cares so much. And this is where Pierce Brosnan just comes off as like super charming, super nice guy. He's he like, does. you know what? This, you know, Natty is a sweetheart. The whole right. family is just so wonderful. Look I at these love, great kids. Yeah, I love Miranda Hillard, and I love her family. And I don't yeah, care well, who knows it. <laughs> so sweet. And he you even know? says, you know, like, I'm, I'm pushing 40, and mm-hmm. I'm realizing, I'm doing this growth, I'm realizing that the, the lifestyle that I have been leading is unsustainable, which is why he reached out to a person who probably left him for something more committed, right? Mm-hmm. Like probably wanted a family and he didn't or something like that. We're, we're speculating, right? But yeah. something broke yeah. them up and he had a, some philandering years. And now he's like, mm-hmm. you know what? She was the one. Yeah. Yeah. And Brosnan just comes off just really charming here. Yeah. Really there's nice. no artifice in him. Yeah. He's being honest. He doesn't have to say any of these things, right? Like he yeah. could have been, this very easily could have been like a, oh yeah, I'm just trying to get in her pants or some sort of creepy yeah, thing. Yeah. 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 But I, and of course, Daniel takes this the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Oh, they, he <laughs> and, asks and about like, oh, he even, this is a weird thing that they should yeah. not have written. But the other guy was like, well, what about their real dad? And like, that's a weird oh, yeah. phrasing. But anyway, and he says, ah, oh, the guy's He's a loser. A loser. Which is correct. (laughs) Which is like, that feels like an artifact from an earlier draft of the script where Mm -hmm. like Brosnan's character was more villainous. For sure. Because like that just doesn't play well with the the character we're seeing on screen. It doesn't unless you consider the fact that he's probably had to listen to Miranda talk about her divorce and how horrible her marriage was, right? Like he's on her team now. So, like, if you're mm-hmm. on her team, this horrible man who made her life miserable for 15 years is a loser. Like, he's mm-hmm. bad. Um, because it's like when you, you know, when you have a friend who's going through a breakup, it doesn't matter how much you like their partner. You're like, mm, yeah. yeah, that dude's the worst. Yeah, screw that guy. <laughs> screw that guy. Until you get back together. And then, oh, I liked him all along. But anyway. <laughs> so, like, then there's, like, a really quick throwaway joke where... um Daniel is like, as Mrs. Doubtfire is, is, is looking up and down, this woman tries to buy her a drink mm. on Brosnan's tab. <laughs> um, and like, and she's just like, ew, no, because homosexuality is icky. Well, Which I'm like, so many- that's kind of like a weird message to send after we already established that like gay bro and Aunt Jack are awesome. That's interesting. But, I did not take that away from this at all. But also it's like weird because like, it was also a little bit of Daniel in a woman's space, yeah, being bringing a creeper. So, like, I don't know how I feel. It's just that the whole was, the whole like, the whole section is just weird. What the hell was he thinking? Because he he mm-hmm. looks at her like he is a man. He is mm-hmm. staring at her, and he mm-hmm. winks at her, which I maintain to this day that no one can wink in an uncreepy way. I will die on this hill, right? No, 
take that back. <laughs> For people who cannot see, Matt just winked at me and he's dead to me now. Um, but yeah, you cannot <laughs> wink in a non-creepy manner. There is nothing that a wink will convey that is not creepy. But yeah, so he's ogling this woman. And so like to put it all into context, right? He's here because he wants his family back so bad and allegedly misses his wife or is jealous that someone else is taking her or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then he is like, I fucking this poor lady in a bikini who's just coming up Mm -hmm. to get a drink because it's hot outside. And like, what was his end goal? Right? Like he tries to buy her a drink and she's like, no, thank you. You're a weird, creepy old woman who just, I fucked me and winked at me, which can be nothing but creepy. So I wasn't actually getting the anti-gay thing, but that's interesting. Yeah. I I just like felt like that was like the weirdness about that. Cause like, I just don't know that that joke works in any other context. Right. No, but it, like, I don't think it works um, at all. But yeah. Well, yeah, it doesn't. Certainly not on today's lens. Again, comedy, comedy ages poorly. Uh, but apparently everything from the 90s aged poorly. <laughs> um, so we, from, we go from the, the country club scene where we establish that Brosnan's awesome. Mm-hmm. Stuart's a good guy. And we go to a quick studio scene um, where we establish a dinner meeting that... Mm. Um, Daniel will have with the big wig at the studio after impressing him with being a dick about the current programming. Right. Like he takes over the dinosaurs and makes them yeah. sing or do weird things in a Robin yeah, Williams so, way. So, yeah. So like the guy's like, you know what? I want to have a meeting with you. How's, you know, Friday at Saturday or whatever, whatever at this restaurant. Yeah. This part of the movie, I realized he has not actually scheduled anything for himself. Everyone just tells him what time to be at a place. Right. Like the social worker does the same thing. Like I've made you an appointment with a job place. I've made you an appointment for Friday. Like no one asks, Hey, what's your schedule? Like he's like a child. Mm -hmm. All of his scheduling is done for him. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have another scene with the kids at, this is the second and only other scene where the dads, uh, the kids are over for visitation Mm -hmm. Um, and the house is clean and there's like a home cooked meal on the table. And it's like a direct contrast to the first visitation. Mm hmm. Um, and it's, I guess this is the scene where we're supposed to see that Daniel has grown, mm-hmm. but it just, it falls completely flat. It does. It, yeah. it doesn't work for me at all. Um, it's not enough. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, 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 and Miranda, when she comes to pick up the kids says as much Yeah. like, oh, this is really nice, but you know, um, what could I do without Mrs. Doubtfire? And this is where Daniel finds out that the Mrs. Doubtfire scheme worked too well. <laughs> oh, no. <sighs> yeah. Because he's like, well, just get rid of her and I'll take care of the kids. And yep. she's like, no, they're doing better than they ever have. Right. right? Because Everyone they have an actual is... someone parental figure in their life. Mm-hmm. They have some stability. Yep. Um, and also, like, Mrs. Doubtfire is Miranda's only friend right now. Yeah. That so, we see on the screen for sure. Yeah, like we don't like no other girlfriends come and comfort her after her divorce. In the mm-hmm. next scene, when she invites Mrs. Doubtfire to her birthday, she doesn't invite anyone else. Right? Like no mm-hmm. one else exists in her world. No coworkers. No whatever. It's just this island of loneliness and manipulation. Mm-hmm. After this, we go to a scene where uh, we slut shame Miranda. <laughs> oh my god! Yes. <laughs> like, oh God! There's sorry. a scene where where Miranda is trying to pick a dress for this a birthday dinner with so Stuart bad. and her family, and 
So um, bad. And all the only thing that Daniel can think to do <clears throat> is call his ex-wife and mother of his children a giant old slut bag. Yeah, he calls her like, a oh, both, both Both of those dresses are for street workers, which is like a whole other like sex shamey, oh like God. sex worker shamey thing. Like, yeah, and like oh his God. daughters are in the room because she's trying to, like, yeah. she's excited about her birthday. She wants to like get advice from her teenage daughter. And it's really sweet. Like, it mm-hmm. should have been a sweet moment, right? Like, they're doing a mother-daughter yes. thing. And she's really excited to actually, like, she probably hasn't had her birthday celebrated in 15 years, mm-hmm. right? And now there's a yeah. man who's taking her to her favorite restaurant. And, and if and if this was a movie about Daniel's journey to be a more empathetic human being, this would have been a really good opportunity for Daniel to put aside his ego mm-hmm. and say, you know what, this dress makes you look amazing, and yeah. this is this will make like you will have a great night. But instead, he picks out some like frilly thing that like nobody. Yeah, like a, it's basically a potato sack in a dress, right? Like it's yeah. got long sleeves and it's very long. Even Lydia, who knows the secret of Mrs. Doubtfire, is going like, "No, nah, you're going too far, Dad." Like, yeah, well, like the kids like Stuart. That's the thing, yep. right? Like they never say yep. anything bad about Stuart. Um, and the things he says about the dresses are horrible. Like you said, he says red. He says red is the traditional color of streetwalkers. And that black one is so short. I hope you waxed. Mm-hmm. Which like, he's mm-hmm. not talking about her legs, right? Mm-mm. And it's like, are you serious? Also, you're allowed to have hair, right? Like, yeah, come you're on. allowed to be a human being. Yeah, turns out mammals, they have hair. If you yep. want to, f- you know, sport a proud bush, do it because it's yep. great. So, you know. So, and this is when we find out that, you know, Lydia's birthday dinner, or not Lydia, I'm sorry, Miranda's birthday dinner is the same time as this, um, as, as, the, as the boss meeting mm-hmm. at the same restaurant. Now, Will wonders never cease. San Francisco, yeah, such a small place. Beautiful. And like, really, for whatever reason, Daniel's character cannot, because the, because the movie has to happen. Mm-hmm. Basically, Mrs. Doubtfire can't say no to the birthday yeah. dinner. This, this feels just, so it's forced. It's impossible. It's impossible yeah. for this to happen because the movie has to happen. Well, I'm going to take this as Miranda has been so desperately lonely that she has made this really weird connection with a person who's not from her culture or her generation mm-hmm. and now is a little bit codependent on her, right? Mm. So in the same way that Stuart has filled in this sort of romantic gaping hole that's been around yep. for a decade, mm-hmm. um, Mrs. Doubtfire is filling in the rest, right? Like yeah. She's using yeah. her as mother, friend, sister, husband right she's just mm-hmm. plugging her into wherever she'll fit and so she needs her there she wants her there very badly like she does not take no for an answer mm-hmm. i think this film would have been more interesting if she was just like listen i'm trying to get lucky with Stuart that night so i need <laughs> to take the kids after <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing that would just yeah. be so much more honest and wonderful <sighs> oh, yeah women aren't allowed to like sex though no they're not they have to be pursued Ever aggressively they have to be captured like unicorns in ancient forests yep so we established that the dinner has to happen daniel can't reschedule with the big wig because Mm -hmm. he's big wig he's got he's busy um yep and we go from there basically into the dinner yeah and it's interesting we're finally in act three (laughs) he makes this choice right like he could have rescheduled Mm -hmm. for four months later because he could reschedule just not very soon yeah um, I mean, it's, important. He, it's a big career opportunity for him, yeah, which is but, like, important. As we've established, he's a narcissist, right? Mm-hmm. Like, 
he's going to threaten his entire ruse and come like, because this is not going to go well. Like no one would think this is a great idea. Oh God, no, no. And even his narcissism is tested when they they go to get a table Mm -hmm. and Daniel, as Mrs. Doubtfire, forces the kids to sit in the smoking section. Yeah, like, oh. At the beginning of the movie, he's extremely anti-smoking. Mm-hmm. So he's forced to confront the, the one good thing that we know <laughs> about this guy. Turns yeah. out he doesn't give that much of a shit about it. Nope. Because yep. he makes he makes his kids and the rest of the family and Stuart sit in the smoking section for secondhand smoke and all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't want to sit in the same section as um, the boss guy. Yeah. Who got seated right before him. Yes. And then we do fun and games where he's trying to go from from one. He's going to both tables. Mm -hmm. Oh, hold on. I go to the bathroom, change it, and then go to the other um, other bathroom. Oh, don't. Um, He's super creepy to Stuart at this point, too. Oh, yeah. Like, I can't remember exactly what he says, but he's getting worse. Yeah. Yeah. Talks about Miranda having sex toys. Oh, yeah. Which he apparently says, is, is the worst thing in the world for a horrible. woman to have sex with. He toy. says something like, be careful, you might chip your teeth. I don't get that. Yeah. I am clearly missing something. But mm-hmm. basically, he says that she's got like a jackhammer in her bedroom. Yeah, jackhammer. It's like, you know, it brings up that, that tired trope and that, hor- mm-hmm. that horribly sexist trope of like, a man has to compete with the sex toy. No. Right? It's not That a, threatens not a their masculinity. And it's like. Yeah. First off, there's no what? competition. Second right. off, sex toys just, are way better. Yeah, just join <laughs> the party, right? Like, mm-hmm. do not try to compete with the robots of the future. Just accept that you are now a participant mm-hmm. in the robot dance. Yep. So, yeah. But yeah, like, also, she wouldn't need, let's say that this is even remotely true, which I hope it is because God forbid, she hasn't had sex in forever. But like, let's hope that, you know, she actually does have some sort of release at some point from this very mm-hmm. difficult life that she has. Yeah. It's his fucking fault because right? he's her. Yes. He's the person that's supposed to be filling these mm-hmm. needs for the last 15 years. Yeah. And, and <laughs> like the whole time, like, you know, Daniel is using his children to confront Stuart, which mm-hmm. is weird. He manipulates like, oh, hey, don't you want to go get a dessert or something so that I have this second to like. Be a dick. <laughs> oh my god! He tells her he has. He tells he tells him that she has oh, yeah. crabs. Yes. Do you remember that? Yes. And, In a and, gross and, way, and Stuart, too. To his credit, fucking takes it like a goddamn champion. Yeah, he's, like, he's just like, oh, f- that's nice. <laughs> Please stop talking to me, you yeah, super creepy old lady. It's a huge credit to Stuart that he does not immediately like try to get Miranda to fire this yeah. woman that she clearly cares about. No. He takes it because he's like, he understands that it's not his place. Yeah, he's a gentleman. But in a nice way, not in a like yeah. a... Yeah. Whatever. Um, like, he doesn't defend her virtue or anything. He's not a no, savior no, no. figure. He's just like, this is weird and I want this to stop. Yeah. Like, I'm just, I'm just here to have a good time with this lady that I like and her wonderful yeah. family. Who I bought a beautiful bracelet. Right. Because... Uh, For her birthday. <laughs> and at the same time that he's doing this, he's like, you know, Daniel is running off to go uh, have dinner with uh, the, the big wig. Yeah. And we have like very traditional masculinity, oh, direct, like as a direct um, comparison to, to Stuart. Yeah. Um, like they're, they're just getting drunk whiskeys. off of scotch. They're <laughs> not even eating food. 
Right, they're just drinking like fucking fish. Yeah, and the the boss like keeps ordering drinks and like it does not they do not really talk business at all. Mhm. Um at some point he gets mixed up and he comes back to the table and he has lipstick on and he smells like perfume. Mm, yes. And the guy, yes, he's, yeah. He's not, yeah, foreshadowing what's going to happen later. He just comes mm-hmm. back with lipstick and perfume. Um, and Daniel just comes up with a quick story that, like, he, like, ran into somebody from high a school waitress. who never got over him. Mm-hmm. A waitress and he used to out. date. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, oh, like, he, he seemed to imply that they did more than make out to me right, anyway. Right, right. And then boss is like, does your girlfriend have a girlfriend? Yeah. And Daniel's just like, hey, it's the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> he also says, yeah, I've got the stretch outside. So this man came to this business meeting with a manual laborer from mm. his factory to drink a bunch of expensive scotch, and he took a limo. So this guy's a fucking character. I have no idea what's going on with him. Oh, but gosh. he wants a friend of this man, and he's easily 20 years older. Than Daniel. Yes. So he wants yes. a much younger woman that he's never met before to join him for sex in a limo. So he's a creep. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Super creepy. Mm-hmm. What's nuts is like the, the character like definitely has these like weird like Weinstein vibes. Oh, yeah. Like <laughs> I think it's played like, like Harvey Feinstein. He's <laughs> very different from Weinstein. Like he's I'm sure I, I don't know anything about Feinstein. I don't want to say anything good or bad. Um, yeah. Doesn't but, come off well, though. Yeah. And then Daniel tries to kill Stuart. Yes! He tries to, like, he goes to get, like, he goes from his boss to go put on the, the Mrs. Doubtfire outfit to go back to the family. Mm-hmm. And he sneaks into the kitchen and puts cayenne pepper into Stuart's meal, which has been established as he is allergic to. This is not shenanigans. <laughs> he pours it on this dish. Yeah. This is this is not fun and games. This yeah, is this like is... legit assault. Right? Attempted murder, right? If you have a food yeah. allergy. Yeah. Which ultimately this like doing this action does cause his downfall. Yes. So like Thank God. But Yeah. So the movie is at least like somewhat aware. But like this isn't funny. No. This isn't like I'm not I'm not on Daniel's side at this point in the movie. He is off the fucking rails. He's like, I'm going to kill this man. It's not like a, oh, he doesn't, it's not like, oh, he's lactose intolerant. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to make him have the runs later. No, he's like, I'm going to give you something you're actively really allergic to. You're going to die. And of course, the way that this film depicts an allergy like that is a little unrealistic. Yeah. But it is functional for the film. I'm just going to say his throat swells enough that yeah. the shrimp gets stuck, and he apparently doesn't chew his food. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Stu- and then uh, Stuart, yeah, Stuart starts to choke, and then um... Miranda, because Mrs. Doubtfire is her friend and savior, yeah. calls from across the restaurant right. and says, "Mrs. Doubtfire, help us!" Even though yes. she's very far away. Yes, and because at this point, Daniel had messed up and shown up to boss's table in the Mrs. Doubtfire outfit because he's you know, drunk and like yes. was trying to juggle too much stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he tries to play it off like, Oh, this is the, this is the host of your new show. It's fun. It's the new character um, I'm playing. And then, yeah, Miranda calls from Mrs. Doubtfire. Cause it's already established earlier in the film that Mrs. Doubtfire is an expert in CPR and Heimlich maneuver. Um, and this is when 
we I guess this is this is Daniel's only growth moment. He actually has to decide to um save Stuart. Right. Which he does. Because he's a good guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's also, he's clearly not very good at the Heimlich. It looks really oh, painful yeah. when he's doing it. Like, he's practically folding this poor guy in half yeah. as he, like, lifts him up. But I guess that's, that's a fun to comedic make it, moment. I think it's also to make it look like it was very exerting so that yes. his mask can fall off and it makes right, sense. The mask falls off. Yeah. And then we've discovered oh, Daniel was Mrs. Doubtfire the whole time. Bum, bum, and Miranda bum. freaks the fuck out. Out justifiably, As she should absolutely. Yes. She should like, sue him for therapy fees right. for ten years. She just starts screaming, mm-hmm. <laughs> "Get the fuck out of here! We're leaving. We have to leave. Like none of them mm-hmm. have eaten any of their food." But she's like, "We are going. We are not yep. staying here." Yeah, this is when reality finally hits. And of course, after this, Stuart still a goddamn champion. Takes He's just them. like, oh yeah, thanks, thanks for uh, saving my life, weirdo. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, he doesn't even, does not even fucking blink an eye, and he just yeah, takes, does, does not even blink at what's going on here. He's just like, he oh takes yeah, okay, Miranda, and yep. they leave. Yeah, and he's not a dick about it. He's not like, I paid for this food, or oh, but this is the because there are many opportunities that he could have been, yeah, an asshole, right? Absolutely. But she wants to leave, and so they leave. Yep. Yep. And he doesn't even, like, he's just like, okay, yeah, the, turns out that uh, Mrs. Doubtfire is, uh, was the man the whole time. Okay, cool, whatever. I like to imagine that he's standing there like, this is so easy, this is such an easy win for me. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> I literally have to do nothing, and I am the good guy. Like, yeah. all I have to do is not be a dick. It's yep. so easy. And he was also, the good guy. He was the good guy the whole goddamn movie. He was. And this is a message to most men. Just don't be a dick. There you go. Right, you win. Yeah. You're already ahead of the game. So, so we go. We we like smash cut <laughs> to the courtroom where he has to like face the 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 consequences of his actions. The very slim, small consequences. Right. And he gives like a quote heartfelt speech, which like does not play well at all Mm-mm. to me as a modern audience member. He's like, oh, but I love my kids, and I'm just insane without my kids, and blah blah. Like, what about what the kids need? Jackass. Right? You have fucking traumatized them. Yeah. And then and we see we see a shot of Miranda and she's just like, oh, I fucked up. He loves his kids. <laughs> it's like, I know, no, and it's the you. worst. I'm like, no, you did not Why? make her do this. Yeah, no, Miranda should not be regretting any of this at this point uh, in the film. We're talking and I like, hate that the film did that. Same. We're talking like um restraint orders and mm-hmm prison maybe right like mm-hmm. he's at least committing some sort of fraud because he's being paid somehow to be mrs doubtfire yeah right working working without a social security number <laughs> yeah like and i and i remembered like what having watched this kid as, ha, having watched this film as a kid i remembered like oh the courtroom scene is where like you know the audience and daniel get a dressing down of all the mm-hmm. things that he did wrong like how like but now i'm watching it now i'm like oh no that's not what happens at all but that's what should have happened. Like, there should it have been an indictment of have. the audience for enjoying. Like, there should have been like, oh, you enjoyed Daniel's entire journey. Like, you are complicit in this as mm-hmm. much as Daniel is as the audience. And you should feel bad. Yeah. That's not what happened. Instead, it was I- just like, oh, you lost. Here's the consequences for your actions. Okay, bye. Supervised visits. I do feel like yeah. at least the judge is the only person who says this was real messed up. But they even yeah. say... They even say, uh, I recommend psychological treatment, right? 
Mm-hmm. And what I'm wondering is, is it psychological treatment because of this trick that he played on this family? Or is it psychological treatment because he wants to be dressed as a woman? And that's the interpretation. Yeah. Right? Like, there's certainly layers was made to worse this. by that, right? So. Yeah, like, oh, how could you possibly trick people into thinking you're a 65-year-old woman? Yeah. And then we have to continue feeling Miranda's guilt, which mm-hmm. she feels unjustifiably. So, like, she, mm-hmm. she should not feel guilty. And they're like, oh, I miss her. Mm-hmm. I miss the person that never existed. No, mm-hmm. what you miss is a fucking parent who did the job of a goddamn parent. Yep. You miss having a partner. Right. Like the thing that Daniel always should have been. Yes. And n- never figured out. And they like inv- they interview one nanny after this point, and right, she's and very she's like decidedly a- the opposite of Mrs. Doubtfire. She doesn't read yes. stories. She doesn't do bathrooms. She doesn't whatever, whatever. Right. right? Just like, to contrast this with like, oh, actually, Daniel was a good guy. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah, this woman no, doesn't he like wasn't. kids. He was a manipulative, <laughs> narcissistic asshole. Yeah. I can't even. You know, he, um, and then Mrs. Doubtfire shows up on TV, and they all mm-hmm. run to see Mrs. Doubtfire because, like, oh my God, she's she's back. Yeah. You know, she's on TV. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, and even though she's not funny, and they should all be traumatized and still angry because this is what like the next day or two days later right, or like, something. Who knows? This is sometime very later, soon after. Not too far. Yeah. <laughs> they're like all laughing and standing together, and they're like, "Oh, Mrs. Doubtfire." Yeah. And yeah. And we go from there to to an, a taping of of an episode of the show mm-hmm. uh, uh, that Mrs. Doubtfire is the host of, and Miranda shows up to this successful television show taping, mm-hmm. and um, there's a, there's the final confrontation between Daniel and Miranda, mm-hmm. where Miranda's still painted as the bad guy. Yeah, she is. Like, what the hell? Oh, my God, right? And it's, like, aggressively painted as the bad guy. Like, he says, you took my kids away from me. Yeah, you took my kids away from me. You did nothing to stop the courts. I'm like, fuck no, I did nothing to stop the courts. You impersonated a stranger and you invaded my house. Right, you invaded my space and my personal life. You spied on me. You You tried to control me. (laughs) You tried to intercept my relationship and sabotage it with a new person. So even at the end of the movie, he still blames her for everything. He for didn't everything. learn a goddamn thing. Nope. And he, he doesn't grow no- at all. <laughs> he doesn't. He gets a successful show um, with a creep, you know, mm-hmm. being a, the the leader. And then she invites him to be the one who to take the kids in the afternoons. Mm-hmm. He gets everything he wanted and yes. pays no prices. No price whatsoever. And like, even like, like, like she, she says the kids need him. Why? Mm-hmm. Why do the kids need, what does he, what the fuck does he bring mm-hmm. to the goddamn table? Yeah. They would be much better without him in their lives. They would be yeah. much better if he got hit by a train, like in No Brother War Art Thou. And instead, Stuart was their dad. Yeah. This is not, this is not a happy ending. <laughs> it's not. This is a what the fuck ending. Yep. The only sort of almost growth slash redemption that I kind of saw was when he goes to pick up the kids, he doesn't come in. Yeah. Yes. He he finally respects her space. Yes. I'll stay out here. Because she invites him in and he says no. Yeah. But only after he got what he wanted. Yeah. Like now that I've I've stolen everything that I wanted from you by force. Yeah. I'll stay out here until you deliver it to me. Guilted you. But it's a little bit. 
It's yeah. a tiny, tiny bit. Finally, we have a, a closing talk from Mrs. Doubtfire, the character <laughs> on the show, where they talk about parents who are separated. Yep. And like, I feel like this is like the most like whatever honest, realistic that this movie gets, where they're just like, you know, sometimes people the relationships just don't work out, and it's right. not your fault. You know. And it's like, final, okay, that's... I wish that was the movie I just fucking watched. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, these are conversations he should have had with his own children and yeah. his wife, or his ex-wife, as it were, right? Because mm -hmm. for a long time, he still tries to talk the... Like, it's clear that he conveys to the children that it's the mother's fault. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, maybe they'll get back together because, you know, like little Natty is like, why don't you just apologize to mom? And he's right. like, I don't think that's going to work. And it's not like yep. he takes no he takes no ownership, no responsibility. Yeah. And in that scene, she actually starts to like lecture him on like, hey, maybe you're framing this the wrong way. Maybe you should think of her as a goddamn princess. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like She's Mara Wilson for the win. That line was, was completely ad libbed. Yep. Like was Mara it? Wilson came up with that line. Yeah. <sighs> As a child, Mara Wilson came up emotionally with intelligent and yeah. beautiful. Mm -hmm. Our new our new so, podcast slogan is "We love Mara Wilson." Yeah, she's great. <laughs> is it Mara or Mara? Oh man, I don't know. It's M A R A. I'm so sorry, Mara. Well, I think it's Mara, but I don't know. Um, Either way, we love you. We just read a lot, and we don't speak to humans. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the, one of those situations where like you pronounce a word wrong because you've only ever read it, and then yep. you find out you've been doing it wrong your whole life. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, Mrs. Doubtfire, that was a story Mrs. Doubtfire. About, yeah, divorce in the '90s, and how apparently, according to this article, they were planning a sequel where he actually helps another man do the same thing. Oh God! That yeah, see, he didn't learn. Says. He, did he did not learn, learn a goddamn thing. It worked for him. What is there to learn? You know? Oh. oh, and they also were going to potentially release um, R-rated cuts of this movie with Robin Williams yeah. just being even more inappropriate. Right. Which, you know, if you know Robin Williams stand up and improvisation, yeah. kind of, like he, Robin Williams, because he gets he gets filthy. Like, yes, stand up, he's is, raunchy. Yeah. Which is perfectly OK for the yeah. right venue. Right. 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 But uh, but a story where. A man invades the privacy of his ex-wife to take control of his children. Um, maybe not the right venue for that. No, it's really not. Right. Sally Fields wins because she yeah. gets to be with Stuart, a nice man who she's yeah. known for a really long time, who loves her kids and has a mm -hmm. job that apparently mm -hmm. pays very well because he can afford a mansion for funsies. Mm -hmm. And he's beautiful. And he knows how to dive. <laughs> and yeah i mean at the at, at the very least i can say this about the movie at least they don't get back together i think yes so like from what i was reading that the original version of the script ended like the current version and then the studio execs came in it's like no you gotta have them come back together at the end because that was like the story they wanted to tell and the the, the cultural attitudes towards divorce at the time that like, would have oh, been you know, so horrible would have been horrible and at least they just they realized that when they had that they fired the writer new writer came in wrote it the way the studio execs wanted and like they went oh no this is worse this is way way so worse. they went back to the they rehired the original writer it was like thank god yeah. i mean because <laughs> that all... would have been awful if they had gotten back together it was just oh it's already bad enough that she 
quote unquote forgives him and feels bad. Yeah. About this, he's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And like he lets her he, I'm sorry, she lets him take the kids. He is a terrible influence on them. He lies, he cheats, he has no boundaries. Yeah. And the narcissism thing. Yeah, it's just it's all, man. So I just mm-hmm. Kate, we've been talking about this for about three hours now. We have. I honestly thought this there was no way we were gonna talk about a goddamn Robin Williams comedy. Yeah. As long as as long as we talked about true fucking lies. Right? And in fact, when you suggested this movie, I thought to myself, oh, but I watched that so much as a kid. There's nothing problematic in that movie. Uh I mean, I guess maybe the whole like pretending to be a woman thing. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Because yeah, I even yeah. like, made, made a note to talk about my feelings about it before I watched it again, because I remember it being really lighthearted and family focused. And it had, I remember it had a happy ending, according to me. And I remember Robin Williams being the good guy. And he was just a victim of circumstances. That's what it felt like in my mind. He's the good guy. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, this this film really, the only thing that made this film work was Robin Williams' charisma as an actor mm-hmm. um, and his, his comedic timing. He is a great actor. But, and with, and which is why I don't think this film would just, it, just would, it wouldn't work if they ever tried to remake it. Because I don't think this film works on any level mm-hmm. without Robin Williams. Nope. Um, ultimately... It's hard for me to say, like, how salty are we about this film, Kate? Ooh, that's a good question. Because what level of salt am I feeling? Because I'm, I'm almost more salty about this film than I was about True Lies, because I actually have nostalgia for mm-hmm. this film. Whereas right. True Lies, I did not. I never watched True Lies until recently. But this film, like, betrayed me. Yeah. True Lies is more objectively problematic but this one yes. hits closer to home for me because it mm-hmm. hits themes that I had to live through, right? And yeah. it idealizes them. It idealizes the fun dad who's irresponsible, yeah. who fucks up his kids, right? Because those kids, 10 years from now, they're not doing well, right? Yeah. They don't have any... Well, hopefully Stuart helps, right? Maybe Stuart mm-hmm. and Sally like have really great Christmas traditions and they... You know, they go to Aspen over the winter and they ride reindeer and they love each other so much. And they have all these really like nerdy, you know, things where they play Scrabble Mm. on Christmas Eve and little Natty's really good at it because they let her win. And it's just beautiful. (laughs) And they have like this really loving family and Stuart gets the thing that he needed that he was missing. And Miranda gets the thing that he needed that he was missing. And then... The girls actually learn what a good relationship looks like. And Chris learns not to think strippers are cool when you're 12 and everything turns out okay, but Mm. he's still in their life, right? He's always going to be an influence. And so it's hard to say. Being a, being a child of divorce is hard. It really is. Sure. And so I'm with you. I might feel worse about this movie. Like I'm less angry and I'm more disappointed i'm not mad yeah. i'm just disappointed yeah. <laughs> so. i mean ultimately ultimately comedies generally as a rule age poorly 
Yeah. Um, the, the jokes just like they get stale after a while. P- like part of comedy, part of the nature of comedy is, is the newness and the freshness of it is what makes it work. What makes things funny is the way it surprises and, and titillates the brain. Right. I also think comedy is always on the edge of social awareness. Yeah. Right. It's always pushing these limits. So if you're pushing yeah. the limits of something farther before you and now we've moved past them, the comedy is not going to be relevant. And in fact, will be the opposite because comedy is kind of our way of diving into diving into topics that are uncomfortable. Yes. I think ultimately it's still a fun performance to watch. I think Robin Williams, it's, it's Robin Williams being Robin Williams mm-hmm. in a role. It's a fun movie. It's, it's worth watching. But I'm still fairly salty about it. I'm still like, man, with context, like watch Mm -hmm. this movie with context, you know, and and think of it as as how it reflected society at the time and Mm -hmm. and think about how much different we are now. Yeah. um, And how far we've come. Very true, because this is a weird snapshot of what relationships were expected to be in the 90s, you know, Mm -hmm. and how women were expected to behave and what they were limited by. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she's even like Miranda's even painted as evil for considering Stuart. Right. Right. Which is way messed up. Yeah. Because he's a good guy and he actually really cares about her and yes. her family. What else? Yes. Like, is she never allowed to be happy because she made the mistake of having children with a narcissist? Is she not supposed to be attracted to this awesome guy? Right? He's got, like, <laughs> oh my gosh, the scene where Natty's like, your tummy looks different than my dad's. I was like, this is awesome! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what it looks like when someone takes care of themselves. Yeah. Oh, man. So, I don't know. I would say I'm large flake salt. Mm-hmm. Maybe not a lot of salt, but the salt right. is very particular. Right. Maybe, maybe like, kind of sea salty. Mm-hmm. Kosher like- salty dried in the sun and so it's got those really large fragile flakes that makes pockets of salt in places and you're like oh this bite's way too salty absolutely yeah oh man tate it's been wonderful talking to you about mrs doubtfire yeah it's always wonderful it's always wonderful talking to you matt and uh i'm definitely walking away with this with a definitely definitely a new lens on how i look at all of the things I used to watch from back mm-hmm. then. It's, the 90s were a crazy decade full of change. And like, sometimes it took a while for society to catch up. And, and certainly I, I need to revisit some nostalgia. Right? Yeah. I, went, I, like, I went into this idea for this podcast thinking, we might be able to find a couple. I'm sure most things will probably be all right-ish. I'm thinking that I need to reassess that because... I feel like we're in for a ride. I'm really excited, but also, wow. Like, I think I might want to do Forrest Gump next. (laughs) Yeah. Because that is a movie Mm. I loved so much. Oh. Oh. Yeah. And was very special to me. So I'm like, all right, kill your darlings. Yep. Let's, Let's do it. All right, I think that'll do it for this week. Thank you for joining us on Medium Salt. If you like the episode or you just want more of us, check it us out on mediumsalt.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. And it really helps us out when you subscribe or rate. Just share us with your friends. We'll see you around. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks for joining us. Stay salty. <laughs> Okay. Stop recording. <laughs> <laughs>
or am I sure? Yes. Yeah.